0: Hello, you are listening to Waypoint 101, where Waypoint and friends chat in detail about classic games, cult hits, or games that are just our own extremely specific brand of bullshit. For today, I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and today I am joined by Patrick Klapik, Hello. Renata Price.
1: Howdy, gamers.
0: Producer Ricardo Contreras. Hello. And we are kicking off this next stage of Waypoint One Hundred Ones after a bit of a hiatus. Well, I guess it wasn't a, a full hiatus, but it's been a while since we've done a a full a full boat uh, type type Waypoint One Hundred One uh, with the crew. And we are starting it off with uh, worst worst girl games. We know the devil, and heaven will be mine. Uh, Ren, these were your picks. You won the voting that we did on the PowerPoint stream where we sort of Mm -hmm. set the agenda Mm -hmm. for the next several months of uh, Waypoint 101s. Uh, If people have not watched that stream, they should head over to our YouTube at uh, like YouTube.com slash Waypoint and or is it Waypoint Vice? Fuck. Is it Waypoint Vice? It's Waypoint Vice. Um, Vice. um, It's Waypoint Vice. It's Waypoint
2: Vice. Vice in all caps for some reason. The
0: gaming cafe doesn't have the YouTube, does it? Uh, and oh I just want God. to be
1: real clear. I won because democracy works, <laughs> and is a is a, perfectly and uh-huh. our voting system was a hundred percent accurate sure. and professional.
3: I would love it if we had a soundboard so that I could have that clip. And <laughs> I democracy play it. works. Yeah, <laughs> whenever
2: I works. like, uh, I'll cut uh, it out. So the people who have the Waypoint
0: TV. YouTube channel, uh, there's a it looks like a, a, a stuffed buck. Uh, in one of the videos, oh, it appears yeah. to be a outdoor. hunters, an outdoor. Yeah, waypointtv.com um,
2: dot com destination for outdoor entertainment anywhere, anytime Look, on any they're device.
0: In, they're into game in their own way. Yeah, uh, game so and sport. We, yeah, we we support that. Maybe if they're not secretly toxic, but who are, not are in, we
1: to define what a game is? You know,
0: know? Uh, the that, the Department of Fish and Wildlife uh, gets to do that in this We're case. We're humans. We're culture. Uh man, if we were just segueing right into We Know the Devil, I'd have a great segue. I'd be talking about speaking of like getting lost in the woods and like you know surviving by your wits in the great outdoors, but actually we're getting ahead of <laughs> we have ourselves. To, we,
1: have to, we have to intro them, yeah, still. Yeah,
0: you should check out the stream we did where we voted on uh the the next uh, several entries of Waypoint 101. And yes, uh Democracy did work. Uh it worked for Ren. Uh Wren's picks, <laughs> which were these two games, won in a landslide in the first vote, and you talked a little bit about why you proposed these on that stream, uh, but I was wondering if you could sort of just give us the summary of like uh what these ga- games are, uh mm-hmm. your relationship Happy to so. them and like why they are sort of top of mind uh, for waypoint 101 for you.
1: So, Heaven will be mine and we know the devil, uh we're both made by War Scrolls games, uh who includes uh, uh who's like a at this point becoming like a pretty prolific games writer. I believe she's actually written for Waypoint uh and is like now like a works on many projects including neon white white. yes exactly (laughs)
0: um
1: and heaven will be mine and we know the devil I'm saying them like that because that's alphabetical order but not order of release uh are both uh visual novels focusing on like young queer women in a magical realist slash um Like magical futurist to magical realist and magical futurist settings as they like explore different themes around queerness, identity and bodies through a relatively consistent visual novel format where you are pairing up different characters uh, and making slight adjustments to the outcomes of various scenes in order to get to a handful of endings. Each game is about, like, four hours per run. I mean, like, what we know the devil is four hours total. You can do all four runs of the game, each focusing on one of three characters, and then one true ending that focuses on on all three of them simultaneously and about four hours. And Heaven Will Be Mine takes about, I would say, like, four hours per playthrough um, as you go through each different character uh, in a bunch of faction dynamics in a space futurist mech setting. Uh, and these games are really really phenomenal explorations of queerness that i have like a very particular relationship to and i actually think a lot of people do because um we know the devil is about a queer summer camp and releases in 2015 uh and 2015 is when um you know if you think of the idea of like queer tipping points quote unquote um 2015 is definitely one of them uh, and 2015 marks like a big turning point for specifically like queer and trans women, uh figuring their whole shit out. And we know the devil became like a major touchstone for a lot of people. And so I brought these games to Waypoint uh 101 because I think that they are really, really fascinating. And also Heaven Will Be Mine, especially, is like deeply um linked to like basic themes that Waypoint has been like circling around for the last like five years, specifically around like bodies, identity, and mechs. Um, that I think is like really, really exciting, so that is why I brought these to the table. um I could also get into my personal connection with them if you wanted, but yes
0: um let's let's get into let's start let's start off by getting into we know the devil. I'm sure the personal connection stuff will come up uh with both these games probably in different ways um but yeah, we know the devil takes place in uh it's a single day at Christian reform school summer camp. Where the kids are keeping the 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 camp safe slash waiting for the instantiation of the literal devil uh, to appear, and I say it's like there's a reform school aspect because like there there is a vibe that there's a slightly carceral quality to the camp even beyond what you expect from summer camps. Uh, that 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 seemed to be a, a thing running through here, but ultimately it centers on. Uh, three kind of uh really cynical, uh, you know, I guess not quite misfits because they're they all get along, but 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 three uh f- fairly cynical uh inmates of this camp as they just try to get through what promises to be a lousy day and await the arrival uh of the devil. Uh, and it centers on uh Venus, Neptune. Uh, Sorry, so Venus is sort of the more, oh boy, what is the, Venus is just a little guy, but that doesn't describe it. And already, <laughs> like, I'm I'm at the limits of summary because the character's actually surprisingly nuanced for these short right. sketches.
1: I, I got this. So yeah. the three main characters you're looking at in We Know the Devil are... Venus, Jupiter, and Neptune. Venus is, as revealed in one of the game's ending, a closeted trans girl who is working through a lot of her feelings around gender and is your a deeply shy and anxious person with a bit of a bitchy bent that she tries to hide and fails. Um, and basically uses her... Odd, unlikability and shyness as a way to avoid responsibility and to kind of take blame from other people. She is a perpetual scapegoat um, and plays through most of the game, like extremely mask, not extremely mask presenting, but the kind of mask presenting that is often associated with girls who haven't figured out who they are yet. Uh, Then we have Jupiter, who is uh, my personal favorite character, uh, who is a young lesbian who is the best girl at a camp for bad for the worst kids, which is to say that she tries very hard, but by tries very hard, I mean she does the minimum so well that everyone acts like she's the best at it. Um, (laughs) And she is desperately, desperately trying to keep her, what she feels are her worst impulses at bay. Uh, I think it's worth noting here while I describe these characters that each of them has a signature tick, Um, that kind of is a precursor to their becoming the devil. Uh, and so Venus is, is he sees motes of light around them. uh, and eventually, uh, those motes of light become part of her. And she sees, she sees and projects those motes of light. Um, and then Jupiter, uh, snaps a hair tie against her wrist, um, as a way of kind of distracting herself from her, what she believes again are her worst impulses, uh, And then Neptune is a huge bitch. Uh, Neptune is a huge, (laughs) terrible fucking bitch. My favorite. I love her so much. Um, She's a bit of a flirt. She's a huge bitch. But when I say she's a huge bitch, what I really mean is she cares very deeply about the people she is close to and will protect them very violently, even from themselves. And her violence is always verbal. She will tear someone a new one to protect her friends, including them. Uh, And she is... Incredible. And her tell throughout the game is she coughs uh, and eventually coughs until all of the sick black sludge in her starts spilling out without her control. And each of these three characters, uh, you play through the course of the day. And depending on how you pair characters up, there's an early in-game monologue where a camp counselor is like, I had a friend who irritated the fucking shit out of me. And we always kept them out of things. Um That is the main thesis of the game. You are balancing how much time these characters spend with one another. uh, And then at the end of the game, the character who was paired up with everyone the least uh, is possessed by the devil. uh, And then the others beat the devil out of them through magical girl uh, combat. Uh, Unless you balance all three of them, at which point the devil does something new and they take control of the camp. And they try and imagine a better world for the worst kids as the three worst girls since Eve.
0: Uh so I ended up this ended up being my favorite like favorite uh out of two. I it ended up being the one I enjoyed more. I think in part because one these are the, the, this experience is uh like I didn't hang out with like I I did once hang out with like some of the Christian kids uh growing up in like nor- northern and northwestern Indiana. Uh but I was surrounded by kids who were like in this space or adjacent to it. And so like some of the observational humor and detail in here just utterly works for me. Um, And so like, I find it a very charming game mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And also I think the, some of the exchanges that are possible between these characters uh, are just tremendous. There's, there's some great dialogue here uh, as, as characters sort of get down to the brass tacks of their relationships with each other and, like, how they see one another. Uh, and I think the game, like, p- is, is paying off that stuff uh, pretty consistently. Uh, Patrick and Caldo, I'm, I'm curious, like, what your reactions were to uh, We Know the Devil. Yeah, I, I found myself similar
3: to Rob in that, like, I found the, like, the writing in this one so accessible. I don't know, if again, if that is related to my upbringing in that, I was not like a particularly religious household, but my dad g- grew up being told he should be religious, and so it was like, well, then our family needs to be religious too. But religious meant, well, on Easter and Christmas, you go to uh church, and then do you, maybe you don't stay for communion. You leave early because boy, the traffic is kind of tough. But you stayed for—I <laughs> mean, you s- you sat through a bunch of it, right? And then my parents made me go up through. Fuck, what is the thing that you do in eighth grade? Uh. Uh, Sunday school? Confirmation. Confirmation. No, oh, it is Sunday okay, school. Sorry. Sunday school is what you do in elementary level. Confirmation is like what you do up through, I think it's eighth grade. Um, And it's basically just like you can get like married in the church. Shh, I didn't get married in the, in the church, so it didn't really pay off for my parents. Um, And uh, so I think like that part of having um, like some familiarity of like – both like a religious structure that isn't taken that seriously, like gave me an entryway into just kind of how the way these characters talk about the environment uh, around them. And furthermore, I particularly enjoyed the like sliding glass doors nature of like why you were pairing characters. Or like I found the choices to be more interesting in this one because mm. it was like, oh, we're going to take these two and they're going to go off by themselves and we're going to discover what what they say when they're in a DM instead of the group chat. Uh, and uh, just seeing those different versions of how people talk to one another, which is something that we all have like a very intimate relationship, you know, especially in our like deeply online uh, personas and the way we are performative in a group and then how we perform those in smaller audiences. I I found all of that to be like a delight and made wanting to go through another run, even if I was just holding tab to like get to the next spot where I could do the sliding glass door moment and see how else it, pl- it played out. Um, I, it, it always, I, I wanted to see what the different pairings mm-hmm. were each and every, and the only thing the game was missing was like, I I just desperately wish it actually had like a, a tree, a tree that I could just be like, okay, what, which one didn't I do so that I can, <laughs> I can make sure I saw everything. I found a guide and I made sure I got everything. So I was, I was good. Got all those Chivos like I'm set, <laughs> but yeah, um, uh, yeah, I, I, fa- I found the characters to be just really well written um, and accessible, even if obviously I'm coming at it um, like far differently than someone like Ren. And I think that really speaks to
2: the to the writing of the characters um, to to allow for that. Um, I think the thing that I said when we finished this on stream was you ever you ever see a piece of art that you wish you had in your childhood? <laughs> like, mm. uh the this um i think would have changed the trajectory of certain of my life choices early on uh i like you know uh i was um closeted queer man for a long time and like you know i'm a i'm a, I'm a bi man in a heterosexual relationship and that's all got sorts of all sorts of complex around it where like it made me stay closeted longer than I probably would have if I had had more of this sort of thing about people coming to terms with their own queerness in my life early on. Um so this was like one of those things where I that felt that that part of it felt so like clearly written from you know, like from from like experience, from uh, a a deep sense of knowing that like it really, really like hit me. I was like, oh wow, this I like, I understood that. Like I felt I felt this, and they got they hit the nail on the head on like those types of anxieties around what you should and shouldn't do as a as a kid. Um, hmm. In particular, I felt a lot in common with uh, Jupiter as almost exact, like that was me in in uh in in fucking sunday school was like just good enough to squeak by but all the bad kids thought i was a goody two shoes but i wasn't really try. i was like not actually doing that well uh because you know in the back of my mind i was like this is this is actually kind of bullshit but i'm not gonna get in trouble over it
0: <laughs> um Somebody wrote in a good question that actually mm-hmm. I, w- I would love to foreground in this conversation mm-hmm. um, if, if it resonates with anybody. Jenna from Oregon uh, did did write in, and I think Patrick, you already touched a little bit on this, but uh, what is everyone's experience with religion as a young person person, and especially with youth religion, youth groups, summer camp, Christian rock, etc.? Um, and, and I am curious, like like I said, I was adjacent to that stuff, and when I was in my whole like trying to figure out what relationship. If any, I wandered with religion like I did let my friends who like did weekly Bible study and shit pull me into Bible study for a little while um, and rapidly realized that that was not my scene. Um, Later, I became really tight with um, a family of uh, very like an entire family of like evangelical Lutherans who all had Christian camp counselor energy in the really positive <laughs> ways, right. but also in some of the negative ones too, where it's like really like cool and charismatic people. And then occasionally you would run up shocking limits to their compassion mm-hmm. uh, or their curiosity. Um, and so it'd be like, it'd, it'd be just running a glass wall where it's like, you know, every, all these other things we can discuss and relate to, like we're on the same page and, and then, yeah, there, there's some places the conversation goes, and it's just like, oh, you don't even, like, entertain an ounce of doubt or curiosity outside these spaces. So, like, I never did the whole, like, um, fully into the whole, like, I, I never felt, I, I was never exposed regularly to, like, a youth pastor but I hung out with a lot of kids who like <laughs> who were ended up being youth pastors. Uh, and I ended up being friends uh, with a lot of folks who do tend to like volunteer uh, for these sorts of things and and come away convinced like the camps like this are a great thing. Um, great for kids.
1: So I can say that um, I grew up not explicitly religious. So my mother, for example, is not explicitly religious. Um, she's Catholic. Uh, however, my grandmother had a, yeah, my mother's Catholicism is a fascinating thing to me. Um, my grandmother had a church and that church had a like summer program and I participated in that summer program. Um, I was a, for a while, a pretty religious kid, albeit a skeptical one, because I had like a bunch of weird mixes of faith happening, like different, Mm -hmm. like off branches of Christianity. Those being my... Um, maternal grandmother whose church was the one I mentioned, uh, my mother who was, uh, Catholic and <sighs> passed on much of her Catholic impulses to little old me, uh, in terms of, uh, uh, senses of selfhood and, and uh, uh, guilt. Oh um,
0: no, you fucked up a personal, perfectly good up, monkey is what I you did.
1: Up, yeah. My mom fucked up a perfectly good monkey with Catholic guilt. Despite me not even being raised in the church, I still got the yep. Catholic guilt, um, <laughs> And then my paternal grandmother, who was a. The way I would describe my paternal grandmother is that every night uh, she did the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But she also kept angel cards uh, in her room, which is to say that she was like into esoteric Christianity. Deeply invested in the idea of angels as like physical and material and and things that have direct effect on the world, and it was like a very fascinating, uh, a very fascinating woman with regards to faith. Does not go to did not go to a traditional church and instead chose to practice her faith through like more like witch adjacent practices. Um, I I <laughs> love my grandma very much. Um, however, um, this is a a, a fun story. When I was, I remember the moment that I actually like lost my faith in like traditional Christianity and um, traditional churches. And it's, it's related to this game. This is an anecdote that I think is fun. Uh, maybe, maybe cut. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll determine after I say it. When I was 12 years old, um, maybe 13, I opened an incognito window in Google and Googled, does Jesus get sad when you masturbate? <laughs> <laughs> And the first fucking forum post I saw that answered yes, I was like, I'm done. I'm out. I'm hitting the jack. <laughs> nah, no, this is fucking Not stupid. Not worth it. I'm out. Done. I'm gone. I am no, no, no more of this. Um. And so that was my very, very stupid loss of faith. Comes from that very particular question of being like, okay, something seems wrong here. Something seems off when I did this.
0: So I don't think I've told this story on this pod. If I did, it was a number of years ago. Um, but I need to tell you, like the exact "I need to go" type moment. Please. So, growing up in Northwest Indiana, uh, as you might expect, it's a lot of like semi observant Catholics. Uh, lots of people who are like second, third gener- generation Polish, Irish, uh, like Hispanic, uh, etc. Like yes, basically my the consolation. <laughs> of like <laughs> the the catholic powerhouse countries mm-hmm. the big 10 of catholicism mm-hmm. um tons of people end up uh around there and i actually like you know i always sort of figured that if any of this was going to make sense uh you know probably i would end up like being i mean end up being drawn toward uh, catholicism and this went so far as um a there was a series being put on by like the local diocese um at a local like pizza place called like uh like pizza beer and theology or something like that. And it was, wow.
1: and wow. the pitch was
0: actually kind of cool, which was like, Incredible. they're going to bring in like speakers from the academic world from like different uh, like, like uh, dioceses to just sort of talk through different issues. And like, it was a mix of like young folks, like Sunday school type, uh, you know, grad, like kids who went to Sunday school and kept up with it since confirmation. Uh, or they're like, you know, older people who just like, like hearing about uh, these topics. And, I think mean, it was literally the first one I went to. Um, they introduced this dude who um they're talking about, you know, the the incredible track record uh he amassed in his career uh, because again, uh Catholicism is a lot like academia in some ways, where you can have like a prestige track through the Catholic <laughs> Church. And so he had like impressive credentials. Uh had at one point on like a guided course of study with uh None other than JP two. No, um, wow. Oh yeah. he studied. he,
1: he, he double prestige and Catholicism and got the golden cross. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, learned from the master, as uh, the woman introducing him uh, sort of explained. And the other, the other uh, weird thing uh, about this guy was he was uh, he was not mainline Roman Catholic. He was Catholic, but the part of Catholicism that actually has way more in common with Eastern Orthodox. And I forget what the subset is called. Oh, I know what you're talking Um, about. Fuck. It's like, it's it's not, it can't be Byzantine Catholic, can it?
1: It's not Byzantine Catholic. It is... uh, Keep talking the story all will go. Yeah.
0: So, anyway, though, he, I do not even remember what the overall thrust of his lecture was we got to a place though where he's talking about how you know it's the the path the church walks is hard um you know believe believing can can be hard and a lot of your positions become unpopular and he specifically starts about like gay marriage and such mm-hmm. um and he does this impression of like and i know that there are people uh you know who who do look at uh, mother church, and they sort of stand at the door of the church, and they stamp their feet, and they go like, "Well, why can't uh, you know same sex marriage uh, be recognized by the church? Uh, you know, why why can't uh, you know you 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 sort of uh, validate these things?" And it's like, because that is not you know that is not uh, the scripture, that is not the theology, that is not the position of the church. Like it, it you know, it is painful, but we we can't uh, bend on that. And it was sort of the condescending impression he did of people who were, like, advocating for recognition of gay marriage that was worse. Like, Because I'd already gone to the point of, like, if you're going to maybe fuck with the Catholic Church, you do have to accept that, like, yep, I'm about to, like, learn to divide parts of my mind in two where it's, like, there are extensive areas, the values of this organization I do not share, but also, like... Just a little bit of bigotry so I can go past those gates. Look, it's just. uh... (laughs) Well, and you can even start to trick yourself into believing like it's almost a virtue, right? That like, well, you know, it's a slow moving traditionalist organization with a lot of like intellectual consistency. This is, you know, that's this is the bargain. Uh, It is not is not making decisions democratically. Um, But it was like the complete dismissal of the position that was already turning me off. But then we jump the shark. So ready? He draws a picture. Mm-hmm. Shit you not. He's drawing a picture on my little easel uh, of like a beer stein. And he's like, you know, when we look at that, objects certain in- invite interactions. Like we have an intuitive understanding of like the shape and the form of something uh, has a purpose mm-hmm. and we see it when we see a vessel like this you know obviously it's, it's very sturdy uh it's for like humble uh it's like humble drinks um it has to be rugged it's for working people uh it is there to like you know help you you know it's not fancy it's there to uh, sort of slake your thirst uh uh-huh, uh-huh. um, and then he draws a picture of a wine glass And he's like, now this, you know, with the stem and the, and the form of the wine glass, you know, you can tell something finer is meant to go in there. Uh, This is not, this is not for like common drinks. This is for something a little more, more elevated. And we just know um, on a very base level that this form implies a different purpose. And this is also what the form is given to us by God imply. then I shit you not, he draws a picture of a screw and a nut.
2: Mm-hmm. And he's
0: like, so these two forms, you know, we can we can sort of see that they are meant to be conjoined in this, and literally everyone's just like, yeah, uh huh, uh huh, and I'm like looking around, like, y'all, y'all think this is deep? <laughs> this is this is the theology you came for? Is he like, you put the thing in the hole, and that's what God wants you? To do. Otherwise, he wouldn't put put that hole as perfectly shaped as the vessel for the thing, and like, and that was why biological essentialism was real uh like per- like and and I was like i was like uh. i I spent two and a half hours of my night for this, and like we get to well the the screw goes in the nut, you see you can't just you can't make a screw and a screw interact um you know that's that's obviously wrong, you wouldn't do that, and I was like, well, I think we're done here. <laughs> um i just i turned to my i turned to my friend i was like um who was who was mortified uh she was like you know she's like i kind of wish i didn't i wish these people would get out of my church and i was like uh that is your church that is your like, church." Yeah. i'm sorry i am i have horrible news i'm really glad i didn't get so far as to, like convert and like be baptized in this but like Oh, kid, this is your church. Like, this is also your church, not just like the smart intellectual like priests that you met uh, who like are, are very good at sort of like not getting into this stuff. But it is also like this dude who's introduced as like what a towering intellect. And he's out there like drawing pictures of screws and nuts and wine glasses uh, to explain why, <laughs> you know, like why gay people uh, shouldn't exist. And I was like, I'm done. We got to go.
1: See, one of the fascinating things I I find about like Catholicism in particular is um, I think a lot about uh, a John Darnielle quote, the lead singer of the Mountain Goats, Mm -hmm. uh, regarding one of the songs from uh, my probably my favorite album of theirs, or my second favorite, The Life of the World to Come, which is an album about faith um, that is like oriented around different uh, Bible passages. Uh, And my favorite song off that album, uh, well, one of my favorite songs off that album is Psalms 42, uh, and I think it's it's very relevant to thinking about heaven will be mine. Sorry, not heaven will be mine. We know the devil. Uh, what John Darnell says about Psalms 42 uh, is that sometimes a really good way to get very close to God is by sinning as hard as you fucking can and asking for forgiveness, anyways. And that is like a fascinatingly Catholic, like odd Catholic perspective that I find deeply, deeply interesting. Um, is the idea of like God's fundamental function or fundamental goal um, is forgiveness. And so you got to find a lot of shit to be forgiven for. Uh, and that is like the, <laughs> the, the foundational thesis of that song. Uh, and one that I find extremely interesting when looking at a game like We Know the Devil, uh, which is so completely fascinated with the idea of letting letting impulses in and letting yourself be transformed by those impulses into something else that is divine, um, and only through their true indulgence can you ever. It is. It is not fully hedonistic, but there is a hedonistic angle uh, to we know the devil that I think is like very, very interesting.
2: I um, think yeah. it's it's part of that because the because of where the viewpoint comes from, though, right? Like if you're casting everything in the light of uh, sort of a, a strict moral code then anything might be hidden hedonistic past those lines, right? Like mm-hmm. because part of it to me feels like it's it's less um, um less less base impulses, but more true self is what's happening. Right, here, exactly. Right? Which is so which like, is to say that like
0: But what it, if your true self is? A base impulse <laughs> that you should be rejecting. Are Kato. they the, are they the <laughs> same? Are they well, not the same? Well, right? true like, a certain brand of hedonist would argue that if, like, if you're just talking about like base animal instincts, then you're already like you're missing the point. Yeah, right. But
1: the and that, that's the part of the thing that I find fascinating about We Know the Devil is that there is the transformation of these characters. Like, the base impulses become a true self through community and through interacting with other people and like through a process that makes them define right at the end of we know the devil depending on how you pair off characters one of the characters will become the devil or all three of them will um question is that
2: i feel like this was maybe more open to interpretation than i thought mm-hmm. but did anyone else think that maybe the individual endings weren't the real devil cuz for some reason some of it felt to me like the 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 true ending and when we actually mm. meet the devil and the devil comes into the dialogue felt so different from the kind of explosions that were happening that the first three read to me like this is what the rules have told us the devil is and then the third one is the devil's really here and it's actually something we want right so
1: that's one of the things i want to touch on with both of these games is the way in which the camera and narrative functions. So, in both "We Know the Devil" and "Heaven Will Be Mine," with the exception of the endings, uh, the the solo endings of each game, there is not a single moment where the character, om- where the camera only has one character on screen. That is not a thing that happens in these games. And that is extremely fascinating to me. And and what I'm thinking is happening there, specifically what you're saying, Kato, is that this idea of the devil that is fought against at the end of the like non-true endings is the character's the perception of the devil shapes it. And Mm. the two perspective characters who you have chosen throughout the narrative their perspective shapes that idea of what the devil is. Only when the three of them come together and their perspectives meld and the distinction between self and other disappears, can they actually perceive and embody a truer form of, you know, what this thing is because it's not being killed in its cradle effectively.
2: Um, I think part of my reading on, around the, that, that difference too it comes from the like the way that the endings present themselves as the individual endings feel like uh you know a dam has burst right it is something yes. that's being held back and repressed where the third one feels like it, it feels like 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 an acceptance of something that's always there rather than it being uh I don't know if it, it, it felt uh calmer than the others right in a way where my 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 mind wants to like separate them as like the the individual endings end up being this like they're still fighting with themselves in those endings almost right like they still think the thing that 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 is happening is bad like the individual that it's happening to feels some form of shame except for maybe venus was a little more ambiguous in that case but like
1: neptune doesn't either no 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 i don't think i don't think neptune does
2: I feel like there's lines in there that were a little like she like says she doesn't care but it it seems like she cares in that she thinks she's like yeah sure this is of course this is bad by your viewpoint but like maybe yeah maybe I was misreading the 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 kind of intent behind some of those lines but it feels like there's there's an element of shame in the individual ones that I read that I didn't read in the in the altogether ones you yeah. know
1: and I think, I think that the element of shame is, is very interesting, specifically in Neptune's. So it's worth saying what each of these characters, what the devil looks like for them, so we can like put this in context for the audience. Um, for Venus, she becomes the most biblical interpretation of an angel possible, yeah. a thing made of wings and eyes that is impossible and terrifying, always seeing and being seen. Uh, Jupiter, on the other hand, becomes what is called a storm of hands. Uh, which is a like a brilliant piece of language to me uh, because she is this constant thing for every kind of touch. Uh, and then Neptune becomes basically a sludge monster, seeping off sick, corrupting everything around her, right? And each of these is tied to like every individual character's particular struggles with their like identity and queerness. Um, and I think that like to Kato's point – I don't think it's not the devil. I think it is the fact that they're alone, right? The, that is the whole thing is that like two can win against the devil. That is the game's fundamental premise. Two people can beat the devil. Humans are strong and the devil is weak. Two kids can beat the devil. But when the devil is three, it becomes this unstoppable, gorgeous, perfect thing. Um, which is to say that like all of the other versions are half-formed identity constructs of these three characters, right? Right. This is their identity halfway to being there because they need another part. Um, I often think about identity through like the language of like a dialectical process, right? So identity is produced from, for me at least, the intersection of a thesis and an antithesis. So self and other at the distance between those two things, a process happens that produces identity right? It is, it is the synthesis of self and other, uh, of your awareness of your own self-perception and others' perception of you, right? These two things combine. This is why identity doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? This is why, you know, gender is socially constructed, is because all of these things do not exist outside of ourselves, right? Identity is a thing that only happens in the space between bodies. And so the identities that are constructed through these characters through, you know, the, like, metaphor of the devil is only extant, is, or is deeply affected by the way the other characters see them, which is why, in the like true transformation sequence, all of them are embodying the most beautiful version of the thing they can be and they are helping each other do it. Like, right. that is to me the most important part is that, like, when Venus starts transforming in the true ending, um, Neptune walks over to her and pulls off her arm and is amazed by how cleanly and gorgeously it comes off and what the thing underneath is. And then as each character's, like, human body starts to fall away, they become more and more collaborative before finishing as this, like, basically trinary deity of the three worst girls since Eve and then acting as these, like, effectively gods who start to reshape this specific, like, area is through that, like, conjoinment of self and other and through that, like, dialectical process that all three of them are participating in.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's also part of why I read it as, like, not not exactly the the true devil in those other ones well, it was because it was missing the like you know it was missing those other parts from the other characters that we get in the last one in in a way that felt like this is what we believe would have yeah, happened it, but really it feels
0: like the other character hasn't completely been uh sublimated right in those processes mm-hmm. like the fact that neptune up until the moment where the transformation is revealed, Neptune is still present enough to be like, eh, you guys don't just leave me alone. We'll be fine by morning. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to ride this out here in the <laughs> in the in the portage on um, Like it, it it does seem like that transformation uh, is, yeah, sort of like half completed uh, in, in these processes and the characters still even their instantiation uh, of, you know, the, the, this like monstrous form uh, is still like inhibited um Mm -hmm. in in a way um the other thing i want to i want to talk just quickly about the vibe of the camp a little bit because like so there's there's a few things that end up getting discussed a lot i think maybe this is i associate these conversations most most with venus because venus is all about Mm -hmm. like how people treat each other how venus feels perceived uh in all Mm -hmm. these interactions but There is this, uh, both, there are other camp groups here that they don't really get along with. And the weird thing is that uh, Venus, Neptune, and Jupiter are convinced uh, that they're kind of a crap group. But other, like Group South is this other part of the camp. And they are convinced that your main character is actually kind of doted on um, and are like teacher's pets for the counselor. And so, like, there's there's weird, like, camp politics here uh, where a lot of it seems to center on what does favoritism actually look like? Is is there any affection here? Is everything just a form of, um, like, dislike just taking a different expression uh, of it? Is it just different forms of, like, finding ways to hurt people uh, in, in a way that's, like, tailored to them to get under their skin? And I think some of this comes through with, like, Group South has never individualized as Mm -hmm. like characters, but it is implied that they also like, they're trying very hard to be a like conformist uh, at this camp and they keep getting shit assignments and they're pissed about it.
1: They are frequently referred to as the best kids at a camp for the worst kids. Uh, And there's also the idea that, and this actually heaven will be mine gives us a little bit more information about this. The scout program, which is what this is, um, they are scouts, uh, is not just this one camp. It is a it is a fully, it is a like full social system, right? Where you take kids, uh, and this is like revealed in uh one of the lore emails in Heaven Will Be Mine. Okay. Um wait, they're connected? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. they <laughs> Just... yeah, so this is this is a note that if you play through okay. multiple playthroughs of Heaven Will Be Mine and you look at the emails, mm-hmm. you will see in the emails that there are references to the scout program and even references to Venus directly.
3: Wait, um, which end which ending is, is the true ending canon? Yes. Is, is that what okay? Yes. Right. Yeah. Di- okay. Um, I have questions, we'll get to it.
1: <laughs> so one of the things that also comes up in We Know the Devil is the idea that there are better camps out there. There are camps out there for better kids too. But one of like my favorite lines from Venus is when she is discussing those camp for better kids. She basically goes, they give the best kids the worst assignments too. Like we're not that, we are not functionally that different. Sure, they get the transformation sequences and all of this, but the best kids are hated just as much. Because they are hopeful and shining and incredible. And because of that, the adults in their lives fucking hate them too. And so the distance between the worst and the best kids kind of thins because the the focus is that like the reason that kids are so special in both It Will Be Mine and We Know the Devil is that they are sites of possibility and sites of like potentiality and hope. And because of that, that is why they are disdained, because they can hope for things that are better. They can hope to be better than the adults who raised them, which is why the best kids are hated, or they can be hoped to be something new altogether. Which is why the worst kids are hated too, um, and so it is around that idea of like potentiality.
0: I had a quick question. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought they specifically said this is not a scout camp because, like Venus, at one point is talking about there's are they're talking about like doing things better at scout camps camp, which I assumed meant you know the the uh, non Christian version of summer camps right like i no. mean where i grew up at like i assume they were meaning like boy or girl scouts uh no, as like these, the normie
2: so these are like the names kind of hint at this but these are loosely like referencing the uh sailor scouts like these together. are magical girls. Yeah, these are magical the transform- girls. The they are, transformation. There's a line in sequences. there that says,
1: "The scout <laughs> programs. The scout kids get get transformation sequences. Right. Yeah. There is a second tier of better kid oh. who is who has better equipment, who is taught better, and who actually gets to have this idea of like transformation and selfhood.
2: Yeah. Um, and, uh, it, which is fun because um, I believe Neptune is the one that comes into the story like already texting someone off screen, which is the like. I have, who is it? Uranus, Uranus, who's her like girlfriend, like the of the other sailor, sailor Scout in the actual show? So you're like, oh, that's that's probably who she's talking to. Yeah,
1: it's uh, it's very cute. Yeah. Uh, there's some very cute references to like Sailor Moon in here. Um part of why all these characters are named after astrological bodies.
0: Um there's also early on and i maybe maybe this is uh sort of like reinforcing some of the theme is like what is the actual curriculum of this camp for um the camp counselor there's a weird moment everything around the camp counselor is weird <laughs> um the the way that like there's a sense of we have a we have like he has strange relationships and strange and strained relationships uh with all the kids and seems to find different ways of like Uh, turning them against each other and like kind of getting under their skin. But he gives this uh, when it's when it's guitar and campfire time, he gives this speech that amounts to. Some people, no matter what you do, Mm -hmm. are just going to turn out wrong. And. Your compassion and your friendship and your fellowship will make you think that you should help them and be there for them and 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 try to alter their trajectory, but really, they just need to be cut loose and turned adrift. Anyway, here's Wonderwall. Is is kind of how that like scene <laughs> mm-hmm. plays yeah. out, yeah. but it was like a it, it it's a kind of a jarring note uh, in. A, and and i think it, it it did i think it actually really worked for me because i think there's especially like in a in in christian camp spaces and in christian spaces there is a tension um you know between the limitless redemptive uh like possibilities that exist for humanity uh in religion and then also the scathing judgment and uh selfishness of like the individual eye like of the individualized morality and the, the the scene sort of captured it for me where you think it's going to be about like um you know obviously uh, you know you want to be the good Samaritan helping the the, the traveler on the road uh, but actually it's leave that person in the dust they will just drag you down with them mm-hmm. uh, and those those two things do exist uh, in the space and there's a really uh, like deft way of bringing this out which is on the one hand these kids are sort of like trying to be acculturated to like uh, be more godly and keep their you know eyes toward heaven a little bit more but also as part of that be willing to avert your gaze from the people who are deficient or divergent, uh, be ready to turn against them at the drop of a dime.
1: I mean, mechanically, that is what you're doing, right? When you are pairing off these characters, that is the metaphor. You are doing what, like, there is, there is, there is to me, some implications that the camp counselor did the exact same thing that you all have done. And they fought the devil, and he ruined his friend. He hurt his friend very, very badly with their other friend, and then he became this camp counselor, right? And, and part of this ties into, you know, the metaphors of both of these games of the devil and the existential threat, which are these like big, massive ideas which individuals can unite against together. Um, but those, those big, massive ideas will always be substantiated in a physical thing. Whether it be a person or something like that, there is a fundamental sick deep inside of something that you then have to combat through a dominant culture. Right. So, for example, the dominant culture in this case is is faith, is these particular rituals of radios and speaking to God. Right. That is a process by which you engage with the devil or the existential threat. Those are the grounds on which you meet them.
0: Um, The other. So it's not long after that. We also get a taste of like, yes, the magical realism uh, of the story, which is that the kids have camp chores like, you know, any camp anywhere, except there's our. Mount the strange theological defenses uh, they they deploy uh, to not not so much keep the devil at bay. Most of what they seem to be doing is maintaining an, an early warning system, uh, mm-hmm. a sort of meteorological uh, like we- weather detection uh, system for for the devil's impending arrival. And as the night goes on, uh, the sirens over the camp begin to intensify. Uh, they also have odd, janky little radios uh that tune two different frequencies, uh including uh like you know, the devil is in there uh, on some frequencies, but also crucially, um there's God. Uh God's easy to find.
1: He's one oh nine point eight Fm.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a very like uh I read a lot of Stephen King, but like lines like that, like if if Stephen King was capable of writing women or queer <laughs> characters, um, which he is not, um, there's like a lot in this game that reminds me of like a Stephen King short story where like, yeah, you just turn the dial and God's just talking to you.
1: That is And then you like, just turn
3: the dial and he's gone.
1: <laughs> it is beautiful and terrifying, right? The idea that God is 109.8 FM. I also think that like the interesting thing about the radios and from like a metaphorical standpoint, right? Is radios are modes of communication, and the God God is easy to find. He's one hundred nine point eight FM. He's he's consistent. always
3: talking. You just sit down and pray. He's listening. But actually, in this case, he's just talking. He'll he talk just, to you, and which is the implication of you know, you know, if you can talk to God. He'll just speak. He'll you know, okay, so he's not talking literally. And this, I like the fact that no, it's literally like it's just he's got a radio show from eight to nine, traffic, weather, and then confess your
1: sins. He also. God functions as like, to me, dominant culture, right? The fact that God's radio station is consistent and easily remembered is 109.8 FM. And the devil has to slip in between the cracks. God is a dominant sense of culture, which we'll get into more when we talk about heaven will be mine. But like God is an overwhelming sense of hegemony and, and cultural institutions as they stand currently, while the devil has to slip in and offers a much better and more terrifying possibility um, between the lines.
0: And I think, and I think a detail that resonated in terms of like, how to like there are various forms that like losing faith or losing one's entertaining of the possibility of faith uh, takes. But like the fact that the voice of God here is a distracted and indifferent rambling, uh, over the radio that God isn't talking to you. God is just narrating, uh, to, to, to themselves. Uh, and like, there's nothing there to pray to. There's no help really on offer on that radio station. It is just kind of, uh, yeah, it is, it is background noise, uh, which is, which is also interesting. It's not even like, um, it's the the disappointment of like you're not seeing God's face, but like where the voice of God is just uh yeah, just a kind of distracted uh, old man telling telling boring stories uh and not listening. And indifferent yeah. to you. Yeah.
1: And and the devil is kind and warm and seductive in and a way individualistic. That is- Individualistic, but also speaking specifically to these groups. like I, God's message in each of the game's endings is tailored to the specific kid who is about to become the devil. And in that way, he is individualistic insofar as he can talk about someone, but he will never speak to someone, yeah. Uh, and And that is where, like, I think a lot about like, again, God and the devil as like modes of communication and modes of like interaction that I think is really interesting. The other thing I want to note is that, All of these kids have lost their faith before the game starts. Like to say that this game is about a loss of faith is is true in how, some ways. How old think, do we
3: think all the characters are? Is that established or is is it? I, I would say uh, they're
1: all sixteen through seventeen. Sixteen. Yeah, that was
3: that, That's teenagers. that's what I like. When, yeah. when like at the beginning, Robin, she was like, "They're a bunch of cynical people." And I was like, "Are they just teenagers?" Uh,
1: I, I feel like <laughs> these are
3: teenagers. <laughs> I'm not sure they're cynical, but cynicism I feel like you earn a little bit later. Te- teenagers just being teenagers.
1: <laughs> um. Yeah. Sixteen through seventeen. The only person who like they they cling to the ritual of faith is is the real thing that's why uh jupiter snaps her wrist um and why she has to be convinced to let the devil in uh one of the best lines i actually think in the entire game there's 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 two scenes that really stick out for me um that is the scene uh the seven minutes in heaven scene between jupiter and neptune which is for me one of that scene was a big turning point for me as a person um and gave language to some stuff uh, that I did not have beforehand. But one of the lines from that scene is the Midwest is great. You know what? Someone else talk while I pull up this, the, the direct yeah. quote, cause it's worth reading.
0: Yeah. I think uh, for me, like the seven minutes in heaven between Venus and Neptune uh, culminates in some of the realist talk. One character, uh, like just Neptune is without mercy. Um, and <laughs> like, it's after they've all been, I think, drinking a little bit, uh, somebody smuggled in some hooch, and Neptune turns to Venus and calls them out and says, everything you do is about like being very nice, but behind all your nice, there is want. And until you know what it is you want, it will always be – I don't know what the exact phrase is, like tainted or something. But it's It will kind of always like, be colored by that wa- – yeah, so yeah. – uh,
1: again this is why i like love venus as a character is and why she's so fascinating to me is that like oh that th- i don't particularly relate to venus despite what uh m- despite a story that i can tell in a little bit uh but that line will always ring home of of the kind of kindness she has always being colored by that want um the line that i was looking for is the midwest is great all you have to do is not say it out loud It's like a spell, and you can be obvious as you want about everything else. You can wait it out forever, as long as you don't say it. To which Jupiter responds, I hope I can, but even if I don't say it, I still feel it. Like a hand in the air, holding tight. To which Neptune responds, it's okay. Jupiter, is it? Neptune. I said it's okay, so it's okay. Stop talking. Stop talking forever. And it was this moment of like care and intimacy and of like queer community that is like, it is the kindest, it is the second kindest moment in the entire game next to the true ending uh, in which Venus and Neptune very quickly decide that they are going to let the devil in. Jupiter takes longer though. Uh, She has to be convinced in a lot of ways. She has to be promised that, the line she gives is promise me hell is on the other side of that door promise me there is no going back i have to open that door and hell will be right there waiting for me promise me that and they do but one of the other lines in there is can you just make me do it uh jupiter asks that of venus and neptune can you just can you just force me to let the devil in i want to but i can't can you just make me and In, I think, one of the greatest acts of kindness and brutality in the entire game, Neptune says, no, I won't give you that. You have to do it yourself. Um, You have to let this in. You you have to take responsibility for this choice that will make your life better. Um, And it is just, like, beyond phenomenal. Uh, And it's like, for me, the, like, general thesis of this game is that people can stand beside you all you want but you have to take the step right you have to let the devil in if you're going to do it um and it's
0: just it's it's so good um there's one other i guess it's weird i ended up uh so sort of interested in venus in some ways than the other characters but there's something very um it's about the that quality we were describing earlier of finding ways to just take on people's dislike, mm-hmm. uh, finding ways to, like, be the target. And in some ways, like, that being an easier way to go through life, Um, there was a sequence where uh, Venus is describing when Group South pranked them. And knowing that like, yeah. like Venus was being tricked and they were giving her bad advice on like how to repair one of the radios. And she was like, it's just easier to let yourself be tricked because if I said what I knew was true, I knew they were going to yell at me and everything just would have taken longer. Uh, and so it was easier to just go along and then later get yelled at by the cap counselor, um, which was an interesting like. I think in terms of to to me at least in like Neptune feels like the character that is and maybe this is a misreading on my part but Neptune feels like Neptune's fairly figured out who they are uh in in a lot of these interactions like Neptune feels more like a um in some ways a, a guide to the other two uh rather than someone going through quite the same journey uh but yeah there's just contradictions in Venus like the 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 sort of like perplexing even on its face, like even Venus knows this is weird, but like this this sense of uh, always finding it easier to uh, be disliked and uh, just kind of go along and not push back
1: well, she's letting herself fail that is that is the key of Venus to me is that like, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell a story uh, yeah. about why, why this game was like, I'm going to tell two stories about this video game. The first takes place in 2016. The game has been out for one year. I am 16 years old and I am in a mumble call. Um, for those of you who remember the, uh, voice, uh, chat program mumble, um, I'm in a mumble call with, uh, five friends of mine. I'm the youngest person there by 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, everyone else in the call is a trans girl. Um, at the time I identified as a bi dude. And on that call, they go, Hey, Ren, we think you should play. We know the devil. And I was like, okay. And they were like, we want you to play. We know the devil tonight. Just, just trust us. And, uh, on that mumble call, uh, I mute myself, uh, and I click deafen, uh, someone sends me their itch.io password. Uh, and I log into their itch account on my computer, and I download a copy of the game, uh, and I play it through in one night. Um, I realize uh, about sixty percent of the way through that everyone on the call thinks that I'm a girl—a uh, conclusion that I have yet to come to. Uh, and then I go, I finish the game, and then I tell everyone, "Hey, I'm going to take a shower real quick, and then we can chat about what you whatever you wanted to talk about, right?" And I go and I take a shower and I turn up the water as high as I can, like as hot as I fucking can and spend about 20 minutes in there trying really hard not to think about my body. Uh, And then I get out, I towel off, I go sit down and I chat with them and they say, which character did you most relate to? Um, And I sit there for a second and first I say Jupiter uh, for reasons at the time I cannot explain. Uh, I say, Jupiter, well, I, I I try and explain it at the time. It's like, oh, I'm also queer. And I also like to deal with with repression of my queerness because I'm like scared of the bi part of me. I'm scared of liking boys. Uh-huh. Um, uh So I relate to her the most. This is still true to this day uh, for reasons I will elaborate on in the second story. And then I said, second was Venus. Not because she's trans, but because she's anxious. And they then say, Are you sure about that? And I go, I'm 99.99% sure I'm cis. (laughs) And let me tell you, folks, that 0.01% will fucking get (laughs) you. But the way there are ways to read Venus where she is just very anxious and stressed and very bad at being a person and interacting with other people. But underneath all of that is a character who, at her core, is failing to be a very specific thing. And she is failing to be a boy in every fucking way possible. Every time she fails to fix a radio, every time she does not stand up for herself. That's why her conversation in the closet with Jupiter uh, is so fascinating to me. Is because the two of them talk about this and name it explicitly, where um, Jupiter talks about how boys are easier Uh, because Mm -hmm. they will be mean Mm -hmm. to your face. And then Venus goes, no, they aren't. They are mad about things that they cannot name. (laughs) And Jupiter is really skeptical of that, and she should be. Because Venus is not talking about boys, she is talking about herself. This thing that she cannot name and cannot touch that is so fundamental to her that she cannot even interact with it in a meaningful way. And so because of that, she fails at being a boy because it's easier. Because it is easier to be a terrible boy than a girl who tries and is killed for it. But luckily, we know the devil disagrees. It is a game that wholeheartedly believes that choosing to be terrible and at risk and alive, to be visible and vulnerable, is to be queer. There is no visibility without vulnerability. And that is queerness to these games. Um, That is the first story. The second story takes place five years later uh, in 2020. uh, Yeah, 2020. I replayed these games. And in one setting, I replay the entire fucking game uh, five years later, having not touched it in, at all since then. And I realize that there was a reason I related to Jupiter so much that I didn't have language for previously. And a lot of my relation to Venus has kind of faded as I've grown older. Um, I no longer really click with her as a person, despite the fact that 16-year-old me is like, oh, yeah, I feel like that sometimes. <laughs> 22-year-old me very much does not. Uh, instead I realized that the reason that I related to Jupiter, but couldn't say it was because I didn't know that being a lesbian was even an option. I did not know that for me, that was even a thing I could consider being. And so there was this fucking character sitting at the edge of my periphery that I could not understand for the fucking life of me, why it was her, why it was always her, why for years and years and years, every single time I thought about, we know the devil, Jupiter was the one who came into my mind. It's because she's a fucking dyke, and like <laughs> that is the core of my relationship to these texts. Right? Is like, is this fascinating artifact of different ways of understanding and moving through queerness, um, and like through identity as a process and identity as a journey. Those are my those are my little stories and why I so deeply love uh, those two conversations with Jupiter is because when I played in 2020, through that scene of of, of, uh, Seven Minutes in Heaven between Jupiter and Neptune, I realized I was a lesbian. And like, that is the power this game has. And this is the power that Kata was speaking to earlier in terms of like wishing you had this when you were younger, I did. And that is such a fascinating thing to have. Um, And so clearly shapes my perception of Venus as a character, as a girl who is failing to be anything else. Succeeding is harder for her, until it isn't. I'm very, very excited to hear Robin Patrick's thoughts on Heaven Will Be Mine because I know they're negative.
0: I don't think they're negative in an interesting way, but that's the.
1: Oh, they're we'll not negative there. in an interesting way. I'm very yeah. excited. Okay. That, that makes me somehow more excited. <laughs> negative parentheses boring is somehow it feels like it will produce a more interesting conversation somehow.
0: I could get I could get more negative, but at some point it's like, is it just homophobic to like dislike this game this much? Is this just homophobia? Wow. Wrong Rob, yes, are you taking is, our actually. private
3: conversation into the pod? Oh, okay, good.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm so excited! I'm so fucking excited! Oh my god, that All is right. such a good teaser for what's about to happen.
3: Is it homophobic to dislike it? <laughs> Heaven won't <will> be mine.
1: <laughs> oh. Uh. Yes. All right. let me answer that question early cancel
0: well you heard it here first uh, folks within the constraints of this discussion (laughs) we're gonna be careful how we talk about heaven will be mine a game that I have no problems with um Mm -hmm. just you know Uh respect what it's doing you just think the gay women uh, are in it didn't get on with it that much um I think, but more seriously, I think like sort of the start of maybe me struggling to know what to make of it is I find it a bit of a tough story to come to grips with, even. Uh, Ren, what's Heaven Will, it Will Be Mine about? What's going on in here?
1: Heaven Will Be Mine is a game about three girls um, who are each mech pilots. Uh, and they are mech pilots each for a different faction in a... Basically, uh, like multi-front war. Uh, and we're using war in a very uh, metaphoric, both both literal and metaphoric terms here, which we'll get into in a little bit. But each of these girls represent a different faction. Lunaterra represents the Memorial Foundation. And the Memorial Foundation is basically the closest thing to the old guard of Earth. Uh, and what the Memorial Foundation wants is for those who have lived in space to return to Earth. Um, they want them to come back. Uh, these kids who have been raised in space to be mech pilots, who have embodied these things called ship selves, which are both mechs in the traditional sense, but also manifestations of identity um, in another sense. Uh, they want them to have come back to Earth uh, and rejoin the planetary ser- like sphere, basically. Then there is Pluto, who is the princess of Cradle's Graces. Uh, and what Pluto wants is for humanity to be able to create a home in space, She does not want to go back to Earth. In fact, she wants to create something new and continue the space colonization process and and find new ways of being among the stars. Uh, But ways of being that are fundamentally rooted in what we think of as human. Um, And then finally, we have Saturn, who represents a faction known as Celestial Mechanics. And Celestial Mechanics is a faction made up of kids, mostly with the exception of its leader, made up of kids who were born in space. And what they want is to become something new. To reject humanity altogether, to fuse with their ship selves absolutely, and become a thing that we do not even have a name for yet. That faction is headed by a man named Iapetus. And what Iapetus wants is for those same kids to become a new existential threat for humanity to fight against. And so, he's basically, his, his point is, if humanity has an existential threat to unite against, we can create an absolute monoculture in response to that existential threat, and that is what he wants, which is actually significantly different from what the kids who he is currently forcing to fight for him actually want. But their needs are just aligned enough that they fight for him, anyways. Uh, and so, these are the three main characters and factions of Heaven Will Be Mine. Um, Saturn is uh, the pilot for uh, Celestial Mechanics. Is flirty, hungry, a little bit of a brat. Um, she's a terrible nightmare woman, uh, (laughs) who should be avoided at all costs. Uh, then you have Pluto, the princess of Cradle's Graces, who is caring, albeit not in a tradition. She is caring in the traditional sense, but to a degree that, that breaches into coldness. Her care is universal in a way that is almost uncomfortable and frightening. Um, she has a heart big enough for everybody, which is both true and also a threat. Uh, and then finally, you have Luna Terra, who is the aging ace of Memorial Foundation, whose mech, like her, has been wounded by years and years and years of fighting, uh, and who has previously betrayed Memorial Foundation for the other two factions and has since triple-crossed, double-crossed them and gone back to Memorial Foundation. Uh, And as you play through the game, you play through each of these characters' missions. And in each mission, you determine whether or not the character stays loyal to their faction or indulges in the interests of another. Uh, There are a total of eight scenes over the course of eight days uh, with one ending scene, depending on which faction you endorse the most. Uh, in between these scenes, there are short conversations between these characters and their handlers, uh, or their, like, basically support crew, uh, and also a collection of lore details. Uh, do you feel like I'm missing anything?
0: Nope. think that covers it. Uh, oh, the mentors.
1: Oh, uh, you mean Eopetus, Dr. Nix, and... Uh, Europa. Europa? Europa, yes. Um... So I mentioned, at the very least, uh, Iapetus, who is a real motherfucker, just the <laughs> worst man who's ever been, just a real fucking piece of shit, legitimately an abusive creep. He's an abusive creep and actually in a very fun trick of the game, he's never shown on screen. Uh, Iapetus is shown on screen, but his face is blanked out. Uh, It is censored out because basically the devs said that they didn't want anyone making horny fan art of him. He's Hmm. a guy who fucking sucks and should not be liked (laughs) in any way by anyone. You don't even get to make horny fan art of Hiapetus. He's a fucking monster.
3: (laughs) Have people tried to do it anyway?
1: Probably. Um, Hiapetus fucking sucks. Uh, And then there is Dr. Nix, who works with the Celestial Mechanics. Uh, No, no, sorry. Uh, Dr. Nix is uh, Cradle's Graces. Um, Dr. Nix works with Cradle's Graces to try and create a new home uh, for people in space. Uh, And then Europa is a Memorial Foundation, uh, basically commander, who works directly with um, Luna Terra to imagine different futures. To be clear, Memorial Foundation isn't actually Earth. Uh, Earth is a stand-in in this game for the dominant culture, Like Earth is culture and humanity as we original, as we currently define it as that which humans are and can't imagine. Um, That is humanity in this game. Memorial Foundation is aligned with humanity, but not an embodiment of like Earth's ideology. They want something different uh than what Earth wants, which is uh, evident in Luna Terra's ending, uh, which we can get to all the endings for the individual characters in a sec. Um, but Dr. nix was the person who started the pilot program, and she is your like Dr. Catherine Halsey from Halo. She is your like uh whoever the fuck it is in um you know whatever pick a know. show. I
2: don't know.
1: Yeah. Pick a show, pick a show where there's someone who finds special children and then makes them fight. Uh, and that is Dr. Nix. Um, she loves these kids very much, uh, but does not know what they can be. And her idea of love and what they can be is extremely limited. I think that covers everyone.
0: Yeah. Um, so how did we all find the game? Uh, Patrick. <laughs> um,
3: so with we know the devil. Uh, uh, you know, both these stories are operating in, in literal and metaphorical ways. And I found myself able to get in to the literal of we know the devil to appreciate the metaphor. What I had trouble with in Heaven uh, heavenly mind was uh, getting into the literal and then being able to appreciate the metaphor. And then increasingly as I went through the story, kind of just got overwhelmed by the proper nouns and the metaphors and like lost the plot on mm-hmm. the characters. And at a certain point I'm like halfway through not really sure, like here's here's a very like a concrete example explaining like the issue I had, like grasping on to this world was there's a secret ending to heaven will be mine. The secret ending, which I need to be clear, I arrived at by accident mm-hmm. um and is labeled as an achievement as an Easter egg, is that if you are able to navigate all the choices of loyalty or or deception or loyalty to different factions to fifty percent, Showing no explicit (laughs) approval for one of them by the end, the game wraps around to a moment where all the characters go to you and go, I don't know, which ending do you want? And then you just get to pick one. Um, And that's the ending I got playing this game um, because I found that I I had, again, grasping onto literally what these characters Wanted what these factions were aiming for because I had trouble wrapping my head around the metaphors. I felt like it hit that point so much faster in mm-hmm. its storytelling. Um, that the stuff that I grabbed onto the most, where like when I would get out of the mission and into like, oh, I can read like this text conversation between these two characters, like I'm really enjoying this. The uh, interstitial world building that happens between days where you're like reading like mm-hmm. bits about what was happening in this universe. Like, like, ate those up. Like, I was like, this is so fucking cool and fascinating. I just had trouble, like, getting into the characters in this one. And then, like, once I had trouble, like, on that through line, it was just harder to grasp the the thing more, more broadly. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: But that's, that's where, that's where I ended up on, on Heaven Will Be Mine.
1: Uh, And, and you, Rob?
0: Uh, Largely the same. I think I sent Patrick uh, a DM... Like last night or this morning, saying, uh, "I think I might be too old for this game specifically," <laughs> um, and I think or part or not. of it, part of it was just uh, the. I think some of the style of this game in in some ways just didn't work for me. It reminded me a lot of. Um, what's the I put it uh, so in We Know the Devil there's a lot of like beautiful stylistic notes there's some like really great like piercing dialogue I think a lot of like the evocative description and like pitch perfect responses are used arresting prose yes exactly but it's always used to good effect, I think, in a good context. Like it, it always earns its moments, and those moments tend to arrive in thick and fast. I feel like it's teeing it up and then it's yeah. whacking it with that there is, um. Yes. Whereas here, I feel like from the beginning, Heaven Will Be Mine was asking me to be all in on it regardless, because it came out of the it came out of the dugout and went straight to rounding the bases, uh, like pumping up the crowd without ever having taken a swing.
1: I have a key question here. Yeah. Which character did everyone play through as? Lunaterra. Lunaterra. Okay. Fascinating. Uh, Patrick? Uh,
2: Pluto, I believe.
1: Pluto. Okay. And Kato, that's actually perfect. Kato and I played on stream through as Saturn. Yeah. I Um, got through
2: a Pluto run through and I started Lunaterra. I wanted to finish it, but. As did I. As did I. I I also got through. I'm like day four in Lunaterra. So.
1: Rob, it's very fascinating you say that and played as as Lunaterra because the game's narration is actually a very interesting point here uh, in that k- nar- the g- the narrator that the game has is is actually being written by the characters um, in ways that I can I can touch on in in, in a sec. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd I'm, 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 like to actually ask Patrick a question real quick. What are the concepts yeah. that you felt like you were you were running up against and not clear on? Cause maybe we can talk through those concepts and that'll help like ground the discussion going forward.
3: Gosh. I mean, it's even just like base level. Like, like they'd be talking about just what they're doing. I mean, like it's really hard for me to articulate it. It's not as as simple as if I understood how, what this one thing was doing, it would all sort of like blossom. Um, It'd be like very basic. Like where are these characters in the world? What are they doing? Why that? Like, when, when I got my even my first prompt of like loyal or betray, I was like, "Whoa, why am I being loyal or betraying at this point?" And I like, I just like hit a ramp so qu- quickly. And it was it was really, I found the language pretty in, like impenetrable, like that, like at a baseline level. If I was like strip away everything else, like I even had issues with like how the game highlights characters who are talking, where I became it, be, it was confusing for me to like understand who was talking. It sometimes I'd be skipping through dialogue, assign it to the wrong character in my head. Um, but like on a very base level, you're just stripping like down to like a base level critique where everything else comes out of, like, I just found the language difficult to penetrate. And it, and once that was a difficulty, like it made like getting to everything else harder. Um, and, and some of that's on me. Some of that's just like, on like the, the like very stylistic writing that is present here throughout. Um, but I also think it explains why the things I grasped onto were the stuff that was like a little more. I guess, straightforward for lack of like a better way of describing it, which is like the text exchange. It's like, oh, this that felt like I'm playing. We know the devil again. (laughs) I was like, oh, look at these kids. Like, look at these people, like just having a conversation. um, And that would illuminate things that are obviously happening on the missions. But I often found myself like I I wish more of the game was like what was happening right here, because that's the language I could grasp onto and ground the characters and their motivations.
2: And Kato? Uh, I, I feel like, so I tried to play this game once, back when it came out, and had a similar reaction to Patrick. That was before I had watched any of Gundam. That's before I knew what the word new type meant, and I feel ones. like yeah. there is a lot in this game. Yeah, I have, no, this I have game. Mech, mech understanding z- zero <laughs> This <laughs> right here. This plays in a space where uh, that understanding, I think it... If you stick with it, it does explain itself through through three, but I can see bouncing off the first one being like, oh, I'm not even following the, the base setup. But it does, I feel like, have all the information there, but you get it through the multiple playthroughs. And like on the first one, it can be a little confusing if you're not really familiar with mech fiction and the sorts of ideas of like, oh, humans growing up and living in space has become this sort of metaphor or idea of like what can be a next or new type of human. Mm -hmm. And those ideas like, are easier to grasp once of like, oh yeah, I've watched first Gundam at this point based at, like two episodes from the end or whatever. I kind of like, like, me, it was no. like, it was like Ava and Ava and Halo. I was like, oh, I can I
3: can grasp on these things. I was like, like I can see like the, the touch. I was like the Ava stuff was like, whenever there'd be something that was like Ava Jason. Yeah. Like, oh, I get it. Right. This okay. Game is a like direct
1: response to Ava. This yeah, is as right. direct a response to Ava. As yeah. And I,
3: and I, and fu- I, I fully got that. And like when I was able to, when it was like very clear that like that was a reference to that piece of media and storytelling, like, mm-hmm. That was like, I was able to use, So maybe there is something to what Kada was saying here was like a lack of background knowledge that the game, yes, you may be able to piece it together, but boy, you're having to do a lot of like uh, stitching it together yourself if you don't, if you don't come to it with, oh, hey, these are the
0: tropes and like world building that like we're
3: playing with already.
0: So uh, that was, I think, another reason that the exact thought that hit me while I was playing it was none of these encounters are working for me at all because basically they are using shorthand and I'm supposed to fill in from my knowledge of like mecha anime, like the cool dramatic thing. Like it's, it's all the dialogue of the, of the showdowns and such, but like then a little bit of description trying to evoke like the wild majesty and beauty of the combat, but it's just not coming through at all for me.
1: So I think, I think one thing worth doing here is, is noting that I think part of the struggle that I think uh, from a structural standpoint, Heaven Will Be Mine has is that Heaven Will Be Mine introduces itself as a war story. That is not what Heaven Will Be Mine is in any way, shape or form. And I think this is part of the problem that I think Patrick in particular and Kato in his first playthrough were coming up against, um, that Kato kind of gestures at when talking about the game Um, and playing through it a second time or like playing through it multiple times and being able to like build perspective over time this is a romance. Yeah. At its at its very core this is a character-driven romance first and foremost. And if you approach it with the understanding of it as a character-driven romance then the war details will explain themselves as time goes on as metaphors for this character-driven romance. Um, and like as, as expressions of that, and it builds meaning through successive playthroughs and through like the details of the conflict and of like literal events happening become clear through these multiple perspectives, because the core of the game is the relationship between these three characters um, from whichever perspective you're playing through at any given point in time.
2: Yeah, it wasn't so much that I knew what a new type was and therefore I could latch on to that. It was that I knew that what a new type was and then I was like, oh, but that's not really that important. And I can throw it, a- not throw it away, but I can set it aside as like, this is, this is like side flavor for what this world is. Not like, this is a thing I needed to know ahead of time. It was just easier to compartmentalize right. the different parts of the game once I did have that reference point. Um, but like, <clears throat> if, yeah... I was just gonna say, like, like the like really kind of reductive like takeaway uh, of this is like, if the heaven, uh, if we know the devil is about like, you know, the beginning of understanding your own queer identity. This is like the next step of like, here's queer relationships and here's a lot of different ways that they play out uh, and different ideas that people have around what they can be moving forward. Um, yeah, what
1: does community look like in the future? Yeah. Um. And this is kind of what the the fundamental question is, and what the faction choice is is both whose idea of what the future can be are you most interested in, um, as they are explained throughout throughout playing through and and through character conflicts. And I think it's like worth giving voice to each of the game's endings now, uh, because I think it will also help explain to maybe people who didn't play through what Patrick is talking about in terms of like unapproachability and like inscrutability. Because this game operates almost entirely in the realm of literal and metaphorical realms at the same time. Characters do impossible things because they are in machines built to do impossible things. And are doing things that are allegorical and that they know are allegorical. That is the other thing. Uh, And that, like, even the game's narration is being controlled by two of the characters. Um, They are literally writing the game's narration uh, through their effect over, like, culture. Um, So, in quote unquote Saturn's ending, which is the ending that embraces like finding a new form for humanity and like finding a new thing outside of being human, uh, the three characters basically give up their human bodies and even give up their ship selves altogether to become literal star stuff, to become like the structure of a new star system itself. And a new star system that people can come to and explore and like find new ways of being in. And the way that they express love goes beyond bodies, goes beyond our traditional idea of what human senses are, right? They become this new alien and impossible to understand thing um, that Earth does not merely hate, but is like, but finds beautiful and inspiring. Uh, That narration ends with the image of characters looking up at the stars and seeing these three girls in love in, you know, the shape of nebulae, um, Lunaterra's ending is probably, I think, one of the more fascinating ones. And Lunaterra's ending, there is this idea of an equation throughout the game. Humanity is, there's a function for what humanity is. Humanity is, um, like the alien is the function of X and X is whatever humans cannot imagine. Um, I believe is, is the direct line. I'll have to find the actual function, but basically um, that is the game's understanding of what alienness is and what otherness is right. And humanity's understanding of itself as oppositionally aligned to other things. Uh, and in Luna Terra's ending, that is the, that is the constant of gravity. That is like the thing that defines earth is this function that, you know, ends up at 9.82 meters per second squared, which is the acceleration due to gravity. Um. And what Lunaterra does at the end of the game is she changes what X is. And in changing what X is, the Earth's understanding of what culture and humanity is changes, and suddenly they can go home. The people from space can go home and can exist in a culture that does not hate them. What Lunaterra does is she reshapes the dominant hegemony to be something that is accepting of and, and a home for these Vat-born girl, vat girls, Uh, These lab-grown girls, as Saturn likes to call them. Uh, And then finally, Pluto uh, has all of these characters embrace their ship selves and exist both as their physical bodies in bodies, in like human bodies, but also as bodies in these ship selves existing in space. Um, And basically existing on this far-off planet where Earth cannot kill them with its drones, And instead, they have to send more girls, more lab-grown girls, more people who are born to fight in these mechs. They have to send the worst dregs of humanity up into space to fight them. And when they go to fight them, they will meet them on Venus. And sometimes they will fight them and go home, but other times they will fall in love with the place and, you know, join this space confederation and kind of find a new way to be human uh, amongst the stars. and those are the game's, like, three primary endings. Uh, and then, of course, the fourth one, which Patrick mentions, where basically the game doesn't let you choose a neutral path. There is no neutral path between these factions. You have to pick one. You have to make a choice about what the world looks like after this. Um, well, this which is,
3: And also that's interesting relative, like, having played that back-to-back with, you know, the devil. In which, you're like, oh, the true ending is finding one where node is an excluded. Yeah. And then be accidentally bumping into like that path and the game being like, no, like the true ending isn't where like everyone holds hands and like there's a glorious future. Or it where is. Everything works all out.
2: they all hold hands in all of the endings. Right. Right. It's just what is that what does that future look like? It's like different But you still have to pick up you still have to pick a path, right? right. The
3: game doesn't yes. pick a path for you, yeah. which yes. I think I think is a a really interesting uh narrative device, especially playing them back to back.
2: Yeah. You have to make a choice about the future. Yeah, um, Terras is very yeah. interesting. I hadn't seen that, and I always—that was one of the ones I kind of struggled with because I hadn't played through hers yet. Yeah. And seeing it from the other end, you almost fall into the trap of doing what you were—you said we shouldn't do at the beginning, which is a, a lining Memorial Foundation with Earth itself yeah. instead of like a, a faction that is trying to change Earth still. Um, but, but that is, yeah,
0: I do think. Like, I think it is an issue with this game. That that misreading is so easy to fall into. Like it right. is such a thinly sketched. Even the metaphor, I think, is like because you are catching. It feels like you're catching a train that's already in motion. Yeah. Um. It's hard to follow the metaphor because like the terms are really unclearly defined. Like it was. It took me until late in a lunaterra playthrough to realize like, oh, Memorial Foundation is not like the authority of Earth. Uh, even though it does feel like you are dealing with the like high command for the the old war effort like there is a there's a line being drawn here that I, I wasn't picking that up until like basically the the final decision time uh was was coming up um i think like and so like i think that's the thing I continually run up against in this is like uh there is a lot of It is going to ask a lot in terms of unpacking what the terms are and like how they relate to the game's themes and therefore what is the narrative, uh, that you're going to have to do to like for me, for me at least to like follow this because it wasn't, it wasn't lost on me that this was fundamentally a romance. Like that's pretty for like the first, the first encounter you have, it's like, okay, yeah, this is, mm-hmm. so this is what this game is about. <laughs> yeah. um, and Lunaterra, it's very easy to parse that because Lunaterra's uh, journey is very much a coming to face the fact that you are everybody's terrible acts uh, in the universe. Like Lunaterra. <laughs> Luna, <laughs> Luna Terra, um, is like gundam starbuck in some ways in terms of like uh fucked absolutely everybody and fucked over absolutely everybody the fact that she's like a three-time turncoat is kind of like also her romantic identity uh as well and the part of this i did find affecting is the fact that like In the interactions with the other pilots and their conflicts, there's a lot of coming terms with what's happened. But the stuff that resonated the most, I think, was her conversations with Europa, uh, who's sort of her training officer and CO, which is really about facing the fact that you were warned about everything you were going to do, and you did it anyway. And you fucked up in all the ways that you shouldn't have. And yet, impossibly somehow you're forgiven for that and you're 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 able to move on from it even though there's a lot of people who feel like you should not be able to this is one of the conflicts is um, oh what's her ex uh, the big ex Pluto no 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 no, no. Uh, the one the scientist um, Dr. Nix no ha- I'm
1: oh Ugh. I know who you're talking about um, oh god
0: oh, fuck. she comes H-O- out at end with the, with the gravity Um, but there is, there is an X that like you only meet briefly as Lunaterra, uh, that's in the back, the back of all this, um, that Halameed, Halameed, Halameed. yeah, that you did some like real damage to. And later when you encounter Halameed, Halameed is furious that you're even like growing as a person. Halameed is like, you shouldn't even be allowed to do that. Like the person you were such a horrible person that you shouldn't even be allowed to like be good with yourself, or redeem yourself, or like patch up these relationships. You you are bad. And you should just feel bad. This stuff, that tension, like Hallamie's judgment and anger, and then like lunaterris conversations with Europa, which are all about like accepting of one being like accept being accepting of one's choices and sort of the understanding of oneself. And of one's mentors that you get as you age. The fact that, like, what you were doing when you were younger starts to snap into focus a little bit more. But also, you know, like Luneterra, I think, gets to something really great, which is a lot of us will slowly, when we see, we grow up in stories like this it's easy to identify with like the young upstart heroes. And as you age, you start to identify more with the mentor figures. This is like a common thing where it's like mm-hmm. slowly you start to like be more interested or more understanding of uh, the older characters. They're often foils uh, to these characters. Lunatera is like right in the middle. Lunatera is like still the hero of the story, but also is in this process of realizing that she's less than a hop, skip and a jump from being Europa. In terms so, of like vantage,
1: there's actually uh, in, important things to note about narrative and the way the game tells its story here. Yeah, um, so basically, this is a bit of like context. There's both like lore and also important to like reading this game as a text um, because I, this game is very easily read, not easily right, it is very difficultly and difficult to read even in its most basic level as a romance between these three characters. But I think part of the thing I love about it's it's world building is that. Each layer of its world building actually adds a ton of structural meaning to be made. It is, it is an extremely overwhelmingly dense text. Once you start breaking down all of its like fundamental systems into like ways of making meaning of the world. And so there's a line that you get in uh, both Pluto and Saturn's playthroughs that reveals something to you. The game's narrative voice... Pluto has the ability to literally wrest control of the game's narrative. Pluto can write her own lines into the game's narration, uh, because that is that is how overwhelmingly powerful Pluto is as a character. She is so overwhelmingly powerful as to bend narration itself around her. She is an overwhelming presence. Saturn, on the other hand, slips in between lines. She doesn't shift overall narrative as a whole, but she can add details here or there. She can change perspective. she can twist words a little bit. Um, so the two of them are both pilots who are from second and third generation pilots who have influence over narrative itself and have influence over, like, the game's narration. Lunaterra doesn't. Lunaterra is a first generation pilot. She doesn't have the strength to do that anymore. She never did. And so instead, Lunaterra has the ability to blank things out. She can remove parts of the story, but that's it. She can't change them. She cannot create culture. She can only remove it. Um, this is actually a, a key part of like the fact that two of these characters are trans, explicitly. Pluto and Lunaterra are both trans, um, explicitly in the game's text. Lunaterra's ability to erase her own past and erase past from the narration is part of that. Uh, in the same way that Pluto's ability is to alter narration around these characters, pluto did not did not erase her past. she changed it to be better for her um and so um that's one of the fascinating things about Lunaterra that you're ta- that you're getting to, Rob is her odd place both in the game's like structure as as her literal age but also her place in the narrative as a first generation pilot who does not have the ability. To engage with the world in the way that these new people have, and yet she loves them and the world they can imagine nonetheless
0: um, so it also starts to build toward these like really world state changing like finales yes um but like again it. I like where it goes. Like I, I, I liked that the structure builds toward, um, like for instance, like a great moment is that uh, Luna Terra ends up having, right before they, they do the end game thing, Luna mm-hmm. Terra ends up having a really nice day in the gardens of 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 Luna, uh, with I think it's Pluto,
1: it's it's with Saturn
0: actually, I believe. Okay. Um, it feels wrong to me. Oh, I can check me. it as you're as you're yeah. as you're talking. You, you explain. I'll I'll Google the scene because I know the scene you're talking about. It's 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 the one who keeps. It's the one with the really powerful ship. The big um, ship. That's Pluto. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. So yes, it is. It is. Um. But they end up having like a a sort of last day, uh in in the gardens of uh the moon, and. They end up sort of, like, replaying some of their, like, relationship uh, <laughs> at a certain point in a previous mission and, like, experiencing it again. But here in this, in this like, final uh, encounter before the end, uh, they sort of are, are contemplating the place that they're going to have to make for themselves uh, in this world. Because, like, looming over all of this is this dread of, like, are we just going to be dragged back to Earth? And sort of forced into conformity uh, with, with the dominant culture, like what, it, what is going to be left to us? And to, for a minute there, it looks like Lunaterra is making an argument that, well, what more can we really ask in some ways? That like, well, we're, we've, got, we've got the beautiful, like, we, you know, this is a beautiful world. And space is cold and it is dead. And this is at least hospitable that like, yes, we are going to be giving up a lot of our identities, but in exchange, we will get uh, these sort of this bit of this measure of grace. And the counter argument is like, is that going to be enough? Um, and in the end, the the ending doesn't compromise uh, in the way that I, I was poised to. I thought I had basically decided what happens, I like push the stops all the way to loyalty. Every mission, you sort of have a different way mm-hmm. of seeing how things play out, what what inflection you want to give events. I had always played it so the Lunaterra fucking Rex House and every encounter uh, continues to be like the unbeatable ace pilot uh, as, as best you can. And so the entire time I was like, kind of ready for her basically to be building toward a like um, accommodationist uh, ending, but also maybe like one of like internal exile where like, well, you know, we will be surrounded by this hostile culture, but we ourselves get to sort of at least uh, inhabit these lovely gardens uh, and have these like bits of of, uh, peace to ourselves. And the ending you actually get is much more of a and I guess it is a surprise because it's the critically Lunaterra is a surprise to herself. Lunaterra in spite of having come, like come really far as someone who's like introspecting from beginning to end is a character of a lot of caprice and is sort of startled by decisions she makes, uh, throughout at the very end, she makes another impulsive decision, uh, to basically, uh, yes, we're all going to come back to the, uh, embrace of of earth and 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 the moon but we are going to force the small change um we are going to tweak the gravity uh of of existence and what that ends up being is they don't fully they don't fully have to go back uh like for for lunaterra it ends with the group sort of gathered um ha- getting to sort of stay in the garden of the moon forever and not having to fully accommodate themselves to earth uh but also having forced earth to accommodate themselves to the pilots a mm-hmm. little bit more um which you know it was it was an affecting it was, it was an affecting ending uh because i i, I had been lunata for so much of it seems like uh a character's kind of given up and is going to tow the company line and at the end you see the sort of final like through what I've learned from my friends and what they can bring to the table, I actually do see a different path for us. Um, and sort of like pulls a rabbit out of her hat, which, which ends up being kind of a, uh, a fairly happy ending.
1: It's, it's why the game's a romance, right? Not a war story. Um, it's it's because of, of moments like that where like Lunatera is, is making something new, uh, because of these relationships she has, uh, between these characters. Uh, Patrick, which ending did you end up choosing? Uh, since you got all three.
3: Ah, uh, boy. The fact that I can't say that off the top of my head probably uh, says uh, something about it. Um, uh, let me look them up really quick and I'll get ba- and I'll go back to you. Got so it. Please, please continue.
1: Um Kato and I finished and did the mainline uh uh Cradles Graces ending mm-hmm. uh, with Saturn. We did the loyalist ending for Saturn. And in that ending, as I as I mentioned earlier they find new ways of being this actually is not my favorite ending for the game. Uh, I, 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 I like it a lot from like a, a theoretical standpoint. Um, cause, cause uh, for me in particular, I think I have queerness from a theoretical standpoint and queerness from a practical standpoint are very different for me, right? My approach to queerness as like a mode and as a, as a form of theory is very much aligned with Saturn, but my, um, Approach to queerness as a mode of being uh, is much, much closer to uh, Pluto or even Luna Terra. Um My practice is a bit quote unquote, normative, but that's not a like a choice that I'm making to align with hegemony. It's just a like a product of performance and practice. Uh, and what Saturn ends with is basically ditching bodies as we understand them now to become something new. Um, I'm actually one of the things I'd like to note or or touch on is the ways in which bodies and sense um, as an S-E-N-S-E function in the game setting. And, And it's kind of a read on bodies as a whole because I think it's actually really interesting because I think that there is a notion in a certain like thrust of queerness that you can almost see in Saturn that is like, I would be happier without a body at all. My body is a thing that holds me back. it is this it is this notion, that, right? that bodies are a thing that we are that are foisted upon us and we have to like fight against to be our true selves. Um, and I'm actually really interested in in Pluto's approach, which actually sees bodies as a medium through which you interact with the world and through which you change the world. And that is the fundamental like idea of identity in in for for Pluto, at the very least, is bodies as like, as a medium and as a precondition for existence. Um, I have this line floating around, which will probably end up in the essay that will be released in conjunction with this podcast. Um, When young queer people say, I don't want to be perceived, what they really mean is I can't imagine someone touching me without hurting me. Which is to say that like a lot of the idea that bodies are somehow terrible comes from living with bodies that you hate under hegemony. And not being able to, to like, take ownership or command of them and shape them into the thing you want to. And the thing about Pluto's ending is that Pluto's ending accepts human bodies as a precondition for existence, but also is interested in shaping them into something new. And that is where she devour, devour, diverts from Saturn. Because Saturn does not see human bodies as a precondition for existence and instead is doing the full transhumanist route of like, we don't need bodies like this at all. Um, we do not need to only not take command of them, but to ditch them altogether for something entirely new. Uh, which is why I, I really, really love Pluto's ending or, uh, celestial mechanics ending. Sorry. Cradle Grace's ending of, um, embracing bodies as a thing that you can customize and change and become, that you can make a home for yourself, even if it is not so originally.
3: That, yeah, I, I've looked up the achievement. Yeah. I did the, the. The Cradle's Graces ending. Yeah. That's the one I got. Yeah. That's the yeah. and like that's the one I was always, like, w- working toward. Like, that's the one, like, felt right for me. Mm-hmm. But then because I had trouble f- truly understanding, like, what choices I wanted to make on a character level, then mm-hmm. it was very nice at the end to be like, what's the one you want to do? It was like, well, I was kind of just... Kind of fucking around when I was picking other choices sometimes, like this is the one I like kind of wanted anyway, and so uh it was it was nice to have that option of the Easter egg ending to just to just pick it,
1: yeah, um I think that that's very interesting um I'm actually kind of curious uh rob how did you... oh caught mm-hmm. you add something?,
2: uh, I was just gonna say that like um uh it, part of the way that I read the the endings were also like three forms of like like you were speaking together to the, before to like theoretical queerness and like praxis and practical queerness and like uh the ideas of like three routes one can take in their life as far as what they want to do for future generations or what they how they how they contend with being othered in culture right like mm-hmm. the like idea that uh the 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 Celestial mechanics ending being like you're going to end up fighting most of your life but hopefully what you leave at the end is better for the next group versus the middle one the the cradle's graces kind of being like we can make change now versus lunaterra's ending feeling and like i didn't re- read through that one i just like know what you've mentioned of it feeling like we can find a place to fit Right? Uh these kind of like uh I mean it's a little reductive to put them that way, but the kind of just to talk and like what I feel like some of those metaphors landed for me as uh especially the other two landed for me as uh as we finished those those endings. Um mm-hmm.
1: uh, Rob, I was curious about something. Yeah. How did you feel about the uh and also Patrick, because you've mentioned inscrutability in this game. How do you feel about terms like the existential threat and gravity? the existential threat gravity and culture what, what what were your readings of those terms so we can kind of like put them into context Ugh.
0: yeah just <laughs> like honestly like you're asking like <laughs> who gives a shit like that's like
3: <laughs> those were like some of the like when i like first it was like existential threat aliens got it we're taking these kids we're fucking them up we're fighting aliens and then they said culture with a capital c and i'm like the fuck are we talking about here <laughs>
0: Yeah, like, it genuinely... Like, so the existential threat is a con like, yeah, it's a construct to justify, uh, like a unifying hegemonic culture. Uh, the war was never like, there never was an existential conflict being fought out here. Uh, the, the entire thing was a, like the, the, my reading on it is the entire thing is like a scrimmage match, uh, and the idea of an existential threat being used to sort of bind together, uh, and smush down a, like a, a vision of humanity.
1: So this is true and not the existential threat is both allegorical and literal because one of the things that uh, in one of the like lore entries, the sailor scout that sorry not the sailor scouts the the scout program, <laughs> the devil is a manifestation of the existential threat on Earth. The devil is this one very small place where the existential threat can manifest on Earth, right? The existential th- in this way, so the devil is an alien. Yes, and in, in, in a way, I mean, like the game basically makes the point that like hu- the rules of the Heaven Will Be mind universe is that humanity literally shapes reality. Human perception literally creates reality as it exists. Okay, right. It is a is a physical presence, which is why these ship selves fight in metaphorical ways. Is because they are fighting in the realm of belief and theory. Right, they are creating meaning. In in creating meaning, creating physical reality, ideas come first and then are created in reality is basically the game's assertion. And so the existential threat is that which is not human, or that which is not defined as human. And so that is why it remains vaguely ill-defined is because the game makes the point frequently that we cannot imagine something that is not human, um, which is why it remains this like vague vaguely defined thing. It's also why uh, the game makes the point of saying that adults don't fight the existential threat. Because adults are so powerful in their senses of like wholeness or like their idea of what a human is that they will obliterate it instantaneously. Um, That is part of like the the conflict that kicks off this game is the fact that the second Pluto got in a ship, she was so strong she obliterated the existential threat altogether. It's gone. Which is why uh, Iapetus, for example, wants to make the existential threat literal and material through the pilots, right? That is what Saturn's thing is, is, is to become the physical manifestation, a truly physical manifestation of the existential threat that people can look up in the sky and fucking see and want to kill. Um, creating that unified culture, right? Gravity also is the, basically the game's metaphor for influence, so your gravity is your ability to influence culture and other people, which is why Pluto is so overwhelmingly strong, why her heart is so big, is because what she does is she literally shapes culture around her. She's such a big personality that the world cannot help but bend to her will. And that's why her ship is the most conceptual and, and strange. And I think that these terms do a lot to obfuscate some of what the game is doing in terms of meaning making and in terms of like the way we understand its idea of what community is and what bodies are. But I also think that like the additional meaning you get from breaking through those layers of obfuscation is like really, really fascinating specifically around the ways that like bodies, bodies are shaped by culture, right? That by gravity and the unique thing about bodies and space is that without human gravity, without human culture, you can shape them into whatever you want them to be. And like in this way, I think that like, the fundamental metaphors of Heaven will Be Mine are, I think, much more poorly communicated than they could be. But so fucking strong once you get behind that level of obfuscation.
3: Well, it's, it's, it's a game that even in playing it and realizing I was having trouble, like, fully getting on board is like, oh, this game, this is gonna be a lot of fun to talk about. Right. Like, I was like, oh, there's a lot here. It's like, this is the game where I was like, I don't do I need to play this. I just want to have other people talk about it so we can engage with the ideas because I'm, I'm clearly having trouble doing that personally and like doing that work while engaging with the text but I was very excited to get to the point of like having this conversation I Was like well once the text is out there we have all the ideas in front of us we can talk about how we took them and then arrive at a more interesting place mm-hmm. like whereas like I had more of a personal conversation with we know the devil I didn't have much of a conversation with heaven will be mine it was more interested in taking well here's what I've got from it and then we'll take that to the conversation and then as a group I think we'll like it. it functions very well as a is a text to discuss. I just ended up not having much of a personal relationship with this one in particular.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where I don't know. It's um I'm not like, I just didn't feel like, okay, let me back this up. The puzzle has to like the puzzle has to elicit enough buy-in to make it compelling to solve, I think Mm. is was my reaction. Like I wasn't at no point did I feel like so much confused by what was going on, like the way metaphor is being deployed. Was pretty obvious what the game was doing seemed Mm -hmm. pretty self explanatory. It more felt like the specific argument being made and laid out through these, through metaphor and through these, like through these nouns, was would have been pretty easy to parse. It was more that the terms themselves and the way they are often related are so inscrutable that it resists it, it resists like letting you like it resisted me like situating anything that's happening in the story Mm -hmm. um, in any kind of like narrative framework. It becomes a series of like character studies and like, uh, impressionistic like portraits of moments and characters uh but then it ultimately is building toward a really straightforward um like it's, it's building toward some pretty straightforward arguments about what is happening here and it is it was the inability to like posit, like to to create a uh, what's the put it? like I kind of felt like I had to be on board with it from the start, or it wasn't going to work. And that's fine. Like, so, like it's it's fine to make a thing that like, and it, like there will be people who immediately do get it and like are on board with with the with the work that is being done. But for me, it like I always had like my the way I relate to games and like stories in general is like mm-hmm. first I kind of like like to situate myself. I'm like, okay, what is this about? Like, what's what's going on here? Um, And that doesn't mean it has to be immediately parsable, uh, that there can't be a sense of mystery, but here it felt like I needed to have a glossary open and the work of like. Building a glossary in these associ- associations, uh, at no point like was I won over enough to like really get me to say like okay, well I need to really know what these ideologies are and what their whole conflict is because the way they un they they unfold is so weightless and throwaway mm-hmm. that like the stakes don't really seem to matter and so I only end up interacting with it as a character study mm-hmm. um, around some good characters, but. That's kind of that. That's kind of where it fell apart for me, um, and I'm still basically there.
1: kinda <laughs> where do you come down on this?
2: I mean, I don't know. Like, it part of part of it felt very like it was like I I had a kind of similar like uh trouble the first time around, and then kind of this time around, I think. Um, not only having, like, different, uh, viewpoint from, like, having interacted with more mech fiction, but, like, also just opening the idea that it was something that I think was interested in, um, kind of exploring those, like, those things I had said before, right, of, like, uh, paths and ideas of um queer community that wanted me to see the other ones even if at first i was confused about certain motivations because you're only getting part of the story uh through oh. the emails and comms and stuff even like part of the lore it it feels like it that and that did end up pulling me through right in a way where like oh okay i've gotten it on these other playthroughs and like I can situate my, myself a little easier, but I do feel like, I don't know. I don't know exactly if, I mean, we're not necessarily looking for answers to the, the, this issue necessarily, but like I, I can, I can definitely see where that issue is. Right. Like, cause I, I had it the first time I, I touched this game as well. Um, and it does feel like it's just like, I don't know, part of, part of like, a, a want to grasp something, real before we dive into the metaphorical, where this game wants to be metaphorical from the jump. Mm. Um Or, like, not metaphorical, but, like, even allegorical well, in its, like, main in text. Yeah. Please. I will draw the
0: Gundam, uh, not the Gundam, sorry, the Ava analogy here real mm. quickly, which is that My reaction to Ava was almost like it was a rug pull to some extent, where by the end, it's like all that like material, realistic touches like we're in discard that because we're not that interested. But the the way that series opens and for a number, maybe maybe too long, maybe it takes too long to to show what the the hand ultimately wants to play. But that is a series that does open on like. Here, here is a setting, character, stories, and when it defines terms and it, it throws a lot of terms at you and a lot of concepts at you, uh, it either does so clearly or leaves like intriguing little bits of context uh, that mm-hmm. that like invite the imagination to like go go exploring. And that does a lot of like groundwork laying, I think, for uh, various pivots the the series and the reboots and God help me the movie end uh, of Ava uh, end up doing. But it lay, it lays that groundwork, and I think in some ways because this is a work that comes from like having already read all those texts um, and like knowing the 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 space in which it is operating, it ends up deploying a lot of shorthand almost. Mm. Uh, just to just to get there and me I'm still like ah, but I still I still need to know about like so what are these robots what's up with them <laughs> <laughs> how do they how do they how do they work like what is so, the Hemville mind the starts at
3: end of Ava and just
0: keeps walking
3: yeah and <laughs> yeah. and 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 I, I think if you situating the the storytelling in that framework makes a lot it makes me understand it a lot more and also I think can help explain a little bit of why like Rob and I like separate from like the lack of setup that maybe this story does bounced off it because Rob and I also (laughs) bounce pretty hard off of uh, the, the the end of Ava as like as a thing as well. And so I I wonder if there's like a tonal
0: uh, sort of thing that uh, runs through it a bit. Well, and I still find like the the sketches of character end up being so much like more crisp, I think. I think in some ways, like it's the, the readiness with which this goes to um, like evocative, uh, highly dreamlike prose, uh, like continues making it a hard thing to 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 grip. But then I find things I've, I've been digging through my screenshots because uh, there's some there there's some great lines here, and there's some notes that are clearly from Europa here, uh, sort of her assessment of Lunaterra, and she says. Be assured I saw nothing of promise in her when I first met her. I told her that myself, as I told all the students. I am uninterested in your potential. We are judged by the self we create. I find that encourages brats to not take their specialness so seriously. <laughs> uh, and, like, little bits like that. Like, they're, like, those moments of, like, really cutting, like, dialogue or, like, character detail are great. Um, and here I found, like... I was sort of like grabbing to them like lifelines, uh, to to sort of process the story.
2: I, think, I was actually
1: very curious.
2: Um, oh, please cut out. Oh, I was just gonna really quickly say I, I do think the specific. I don't know if that was a comms or if that was like a pre-mission uh, quote that you grabbed, but the moments between the pilots and whoever their handler or mentor is, I think, are the most grounding in the game. Yeah. They're honestly. the strongest in the game, like yeah. by
1: by far, like yeah. the. The writing of well, not not by far. I actually think that I think that there are certain relationships that, are, that 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 this is actually building the question that I wanted to ask, which is like, how do you all feel about this game as a character study? Because Rob, you've been talking about it as a character study. I was wondering how you felt about those characters, just to quickly build off of Kato's point. Um, the interaction between uh, Saturn and Mercury is some of my favorite writing in video games. It is just like. Uh, such well-realized versions of these particular kinds of people that I, that I cannot help but love and, and, and relate to. Um, and, and yeah, I think that like, I am, I am personally a fan of dreamlike prose and, mm-hmm. and read the dreamlike prose as an extension of character in a lot of ways. Um, because of those things I mentioned earlier about characters taking hold of narration. Oh, yeah. Um, and also like my like personal background and like I had a professor who was like obsessed with free and direct discourse in literature and and uh, which is a, a way of writing literature where basically character perspective and a third person narrator uh, bleed into one another um, at moments of overlap. It's, it's hard to tell when it's happening. It's hard to point to a moment and say this is where free and direct discourse is happening but you can always feel it. You can feel a character's voice kind of breaking into narrative. And this is, this is actually part of why I love the game's dreamlike prose is because for me, the dreamlike prose is an extension of these characters who I think are extremely well-realized. But to the question, um, Rob and Patrick, how did you feel about, how do you feel about these characters? Um, Our primary characters or their handlers?
0: Oh, go ahead, Rob. No, I was just like, I mean, I like the characters. I think what, I miss for them is a greater sense of stakes and like personal, yeah. like like for I can instance, t- I can tell you the stakes, but did not feel emotionally invested in them that like
3: then I felt my brain wandering at certain points and then having to like ground myself in and like talk myself through where am I at in this? like, what where where are they like it was like one of those things where like I was doing a lot of reading, but not a lot of internalizing of the reading. And I think that's where I was like losing the plot when, like we drift off to the dream like prose was that. I was like I know what's going on here. I don't know how invested I am in it because I'm I'm losing it because because of the
0: pros. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um the characters are effective, but I think the the fact that on some level even they realize there's like there are very few moments where their actual stakes in some ways begins to uh undercut it a bit. Like there is so a thing that sets up one of the better beats is when um so There's a dangerous mission where a thingamabobber uh, is brought down and creates like a uh, singularity, call it, uh, where (laughs) TLDR, Lunaterra is like, Pluto, you got to get out of there. It's going to kill us. And Pluto's like, no, you just leave me. And they end up like they go down together. And they end up having a quick flashback, like takes you through their relationship, uh, like Pluto's development. Um, and like that flashback is good where it leaves their characters is good. But also there are moments in this when it's trying to, when it, when it's trying to evoke like, you know, those anime moments of I'm not leaving you. Uh, you know, I like, I'm going to, you know, it's, it's too dangerous. you got, you got to pull out, but on some level, The game even tells you at a certain point, uh, I think these are in conversation with Saturn, that like, it's kind of weird that we're in these war machines, but like by design, nobody can ever get hurt. Right.
1: That is Um, that is Saturn's thing is that they're plastic. Saturn's mech is plastic. It is designed to be hurt. It is designed to be broken and changed. You cannot die in a ship self, but you can be changed by another one. As you were saying, sorry, I got excited. But
0: but yeah, but like the fact that like in all those in all those dramatic moments, there's no sense of like drama or like danger or stakes except the interpersonal. Um which frankly is much more fraught just being realized through the conversations. Like way like the 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 conversations are are way more fraught. That's where like the stakes feel real in a way that like the action of the game uh does not. And so I end up like the characters hold this together for me. Mm-hmm. I think it is often that the scenarios they're put in let them down because, again, uh, we exist in such a realm of metaphor that is leading to uh, pretty didactic conclusions uh, mm-hmm. that the characters at their best feel nuanced and like there's a life beyond the story. mm mm-hmm. When the story serves them poorly, the characters begin to feel like um puppets is the mm-hmm. way the way I would put it uh just words are being like they're being put in scenarios mm-hmm. uh but nothing is like organically being driven by character
1: mm. and and one of the things I'm interested by in this is that like so Rob, you say that you consistently picked um uh, alignment with Lunaterra's faction. Yes. Well, yeah, and also
0: is the best. And so she's not Mm -hmm. gonna like, (laughs) I'm not gonna book her bad. Like Lunaterra's Maverick, Starbuck, like.
1: (laughs) So I, I think, I think that's, that's, that's probably an interesting effect on, on the way you're, you're reading like that. Everyone kind of experiences. This is that, um, basically loyalty and betrayal, right? It's not just booking who wins or loses. It's booking whether or not because a lot of Saturn's missions actually even when she wins Saturn loses <laughs> Saturn fails her faction's goals consistently even when she is a, like even when she has a loyal outcome it is she is failing her faction's goals and missions which is why Saturn is is very useful for me to play as because like it helped me realize that a lot of those um, quote unquote outcomes are oriented around which character is going to have their influence affect the other. So basically, like, if you choose a loyal Lunaterra moment, um, that is Lunaterra having control over the situation and altering the other pilot's perspective. Which is why I think the... um, Which is why I think that for me personally, the dreamlike prose works because the dreamlike mm-hmm. prose is another method of communication for these characters and is another way of making their points about the world and each other known, which is why like fighting is, is, is as messy and impractical as, commu- as, as speaking uh, for all of them is because like the, the fights are character moments too.
0: I have to confess to something here. And like, this mm-hmm. is again, like Rob, this game is not for you. And this is my confession. Like, this game was this game, like for what it is doing, it never had a prayer. Because at a certain point I was like, This would be pretty cool if these characters were on Battle tech. <laughs> I, was, I was sitting here being like, you know, if we told the story, but like through a little bit of squad combat and like in between missions, it's like, hey, lunaterra your ship's looking pretty banged up, but we can't find replacement parts anymore. So you're going to have to do the next mission without that. I'd be like, yeah, all right. And then I'd probably be sitting here being like, and the way it like uses these themes of vulnerability reflected in the tactical <laughs> battles. uh I'd be, but like, this is this is the thing. It's like some of these some of these descriptions. You're like, I like like I I like how these battles are depicted and and the realm in which they operate. And me, other end of the the other end of the spectrum is like. uh Midway through this game I was creating rule sets in my head uh to resolve <laughs> to resolve of shift and combat And let me just
1: let me just be real clear to our fucking audience I'm also sitting with Rob there I'm also sitting on the other side <laughs> I'm sitting on both sides of this fucking spectrum being like let's fucking go let's exist in the realm of metaphor and also physicality I wrote an essay about BattleTech that is literally getting to the exact points Rob is is gesturing at worth using character and like materiality as ways to think about identity, selfhood and and like systems. Um, That's my this is my favorite shit on earth to think about. Which is why I think I love this game is that I love thinking about this. Why I love I love thinking about the metaphor of different ways bodies can be. In any configuration that takes in the tactical configuration, it's fun to think about in the poetic prose configuration. It's fun to think about like this is this is my zone. I fucking love it here.
0: Uh, we have to have a meeting real soon about a different thing, so I think we do have to wrap it up here. I'm wondering any final thoughts, anything that's been like sort of you've been itching to talk about uh, b- b- before we, before we wrap it here.
1: Uh, I don't think so. I think that for at least uh, me, at the very least, my final thoughts will be expressed in the piece of writing that probably came out in addition to this piece. Um, This is uh, actually a a, a thing I will plead to the audience to do. Um, Writing criticism is like the thing that makes me love this in addition to like chatting with my coworkers who I really, really like uh, and and doing streams and pods. But like, I, I think that like, Criticism is really exciting and interesting and cool. And one of the things that I want to do with Waypoint 101 going forward is conjoining our conversations and our streams with, with actual like editorial writing. And I would really, really appreciate it if you have listened to this podcast, if you would go to the site and like read the piece that I've written about this. And going forward, read the other pieces that we and hopefully someday other people will write about Waypoint 101 games. Um, and invest in criticism, not just as like a conversation between friends, but also like a conversation between you, the audience, and like a piece that you are reading. This is my my wholehearted plea to you. Um, it would mean a lot if you would do that.
3: Uh, I have a short question. If people, I feel like, you know, visual novels is a very large sort of genre. And if you vibed on these two games, are there other ones, Ren? that you would point people to that like maybe operate in the same frequency or like gave you similar sorts of feelings if you, because these are kind of shortish. And so it's like, if you're looking for more, I'm curious if there's any others that come, come to mind.
1: There is a very long one, which I would encourage people to take a look at. um, That is very much interested in similar ideas of narrative and bodies. Um, That is actually probably one of the most like structurally fascinating texts I've ever engaged with um, by like a pretty significant margin. Um, the House of Fatemorgana. Ah, is the a game like, that's been on
3: my Switch for a year that I've yes. that I've I've been told multiple times that I that that I absolutely need to play. It's I've just been have just been sitting on it.
1: Is a massive visual novel. Uh, it is also, next to Heaven Will Be Mine and We Know the Devil, one of the most fascinating and interesting interrogations of transness and queerness that exists in media. Like, mm. it is doing things with queerness and transness that basically nothing else is doing from a structural perspective, and I and I cannot help but love it. The only comparison point for me is Heaven Will Be Mine and We Know the Devil in terms of how it uses narrative structure to explore themes and ideas um and like ideas around selfhood and identity i cannot help but love it and recommend it every single time i get the chance
0: all right uh i think we will leave the discussion there uh as ren alluded to please check out uh the essay and and all the essays we publish look we're not kidding around by this we can see how many people read our stories okay <laughs> you know, a lot of you listening to <laughs> podcasts you're like right, i already got the take i know what they said no you don't no you don't you hear off the th- you hear our our are off the cuff, improvisational, still in progress thoughts, but you're missing the, the, the polished gems, uh, that, that are our critical essays. At least I hope they're polished gems. Okay. There's a I, few of like that. I have like a back. thesis. <laughs>
1: I have a thesis. I didn't say, I didn't even say my fucking thesis. You motherfuckers.
0: Yeah. Well, you gotta go, go read secret. the thesis. You're like, wait, I listened to this entire two hour podcast and I don't know what Ren's thesis is. <laughs> no, you don't. You, you don't. don't have my thesis. That's why you gotta, that's why you gotta read that article. I mean, I, I sure hope there's an article. By, there by will that. be an article, don't worry. <laughs> the, the, yeah.
1: Uh, that there's a uh, draft in progress.
0: That words than draft. <laughs> I swear to God.
1: Three days later, <laughs> this thesis
0: sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and, look, no, we know nobody who listens to the podcast reads our essays, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, we'll disappoint like 2,000 people. Uh, but no, for real. Like, read the essays. It'll be good. The essays. Trust us. Uh, our next Waypoint 101, I think, will be... A slightly different vibe
1: <laughs> as we
0: dig into St. Myers Gettysburg. Oh boy. Uh what a
1: vibe, baby, are you coming for the ride? TikTok. <laughs> uh
0: we'll have to cover God e- equally evocative and personal topics, uh such as so why do the Confederates feel like they're just not even the bad guys here? Why are they kind of cute little hillbillies running around? And it's because, well, let me tell you about reenactment culture of the 1990s. And <laughs> I'm lost fucking cause. so excited
1: to write about this.
0: Uh, <laughs> but for real, we're gonna we're gonna get into uh, Sid Meier's Gettysburg. I think we're gonna try to stream some of this at our event uh, at the at the end of the month, uh, or maybe we'll just stream the part where I'm like telling everyone repeatedly. Uh oh yeah no, uh what is it, Intruder in the Dust? Uh, his like sorry, we're th- I'm responding to a a message <laughs> that Ren is putting about Faulkner because Faulkner has that immortal passage about for every Southern boy it is forever. Anyway, you'll find the line about Pigas Charge. It's a great it's a great passage. Anyway, um. Hopefully, we'll be streaming that at the event at the end of the month, uh, and we'll be talking about it uh, next month, and I'm very curious to see how that one goes over, because I suspect it might be my turn to be sitting there being like, so, what'd you all think? And I must then, see Rob yell at the, me play
3: an old '90s window strategy game. Then <laughs> watch us on
2: Twitch. Hey Rob, on the off chance that they somehow missed the other announcements that we will be doing, what is that event at the end of the month? At the end oh, wow. of the month, being three days. days. Three days from eight, when what is this the event drops in three days. Yes,
0: I can't even conceive of how the listeners to this podcast would not have heard about this. But you're right; we should hedge <laughs> against that. Yeah. So we are doing a live stream from our office in New York. Uh, we are going to be on Saturday, the 26th. 26th, uh, yes. We're go- yep, on Saturday, the, the 26th, uh, we're going to be doing a, an all-day stream, getting started in the morning, playing board games, playing video games. But because sometimes shit happens, on Friday, we're going to be Testing our setup and turning shit on and off to make sure that we're ready for the Saturday stream. So, really, you should be looking for what we're doing on Friday, the 25th, because maybe we'll be streaming a lot that day, or maybe we'll be streaming for five to ten minutes in between us increasingly anxiously being like, "Boy, I just really didn't think the internet would crap out like this." <laughs> this is why we're doing this thing on Friday, so that Saturday it all goes smoothly uh so be sure to check it out then uh it'll be on twitch and twitch twitch tv slash waypoint um and you will see a a pretty good variety of games including i think we're gonna finally make kato take that L and bust (laughs) out that bloodborne game
1: i've played the bloodborne game we do (laughs) we have a fucking setup kato and i have drawn diagrams of camera positions maps plans, maps (laughs) floor plans i have layouts by this point we'll have
2: already put the things will have been placed in space by the time the listener is listening to this yeah Mm -hmm. when we were recording this there were just plans but then it was made into reality (laughs)
1: kato and i will have been in a
2: room yeah moving moving things
1: yeah carrying holding shoving lots of
2: touch touching all the furniture
0: so look forward to that Uh, Check it out. Twitch TV slash Waypoint. Made possible, as always, by you, our Waypoint Plus backers. Uh, Back next month with Sid Meier's Gettysburg. I don't know how to sign off the Waypoint. We're
1: We're never ending this fucking pod. Listen, we will never cross the Rubicon that is the end of this fucking podcast.
3: (laughs) The dead stare into the...
1: Into the sky, that you had at the end there. Rob fucking looking at a document trying to find any combination <laughs> of I words. Did I write an looking, outro? Looking, no! looking at objects in his room being like, um, I'm like, like, into a fucking person trying to, like a person making up a fake name and occupation <laughs> during a police interview. Rob's out here being like, well, <laughs> Kobayashi. Well, we're gonna mix her it up next time. We're gonna mix her it up next time on Waypoint. Um,. Wi-Fi Adapter 101. (laughs) Beer Bottle.
0: It's over now. <laughs> this is the end of the podcast. You can stop listening.
2: Well, oh, you're still here? Hear. Well, what are you oh, hanging out
0: for? N- oh, now we're just doing now we're oh, just doing the best Harry boy is just someone I didn't see you there.
1: Oh, I didn't see you there, listener. How are you? <laughs>
0: oh, oh, uh, hang on. Are we doing are we doing waypoints? All right. Well, uh you thought see uh, intros I'm like I'll write that, those in the few minutes before the podcast. Outros, that's like I'll do that after I filled in all my notes. But I never fill out all my notes.
1: Oh, I can have a little sip of waypoints. Give me a sip of art. Welcome to class. Class is over.
0: Culture, deep dives. We got them. Next one, we're talking about culture. That was in the last game.
1: Yeah. Language. (laughs) Perfect. Every waypoint 101 now just ends with us saying nouns to each other. Mm -hmm. Culture, gravity,
0: Gettysburg,
1: Civil War.
0: Uh, shall we go to time.is? Yes, we should. Well, uh, They chose this moment to start. I think it sounds like they're grinding pavement outside. Good. Um, so like, literally, I walked over the window and I heard like just metal shrieking uh, outside. Hopefully it's not on the track, but uh, no promises. <laughs> this would all Listen, go I away. I think that's moral. <sighs> I, can't, I can't hear anything.
2: Yeah. I'm sure it's not Discord and Crisp taking it out. That's never happened before.
1: <laughs> we all have crisp turned off, right? I thought we all had crisp turned
0: off.
2: Sometimes it turns itself back on though. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. You know what? Sometimes That's a really good price. I'm gonna check in to make sure Papa Crisp is shut the fuck up.
0: Uh yeah, all my shut right. off. We're good. So are we all on time dot is? Yes I am. All right, so we'll go top of the minute. Top of the minute. Just realized my, my intro templates are all too too similar and I don't like it. But this is just how it is now.